40% social commentary, 60% spandex. Sorry, what did I miss? Everything. Anglo thieves. Gettle's gone. Alina, are you fake texting? It's super important. Oh, I might as well just growl, that'd be about it. I have failed the sisterhood. I hear an awful lot of judgment in your voice. We're not your judge. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 17, 17 of Anglo Fees, where we will be discussing all things Olympic. Well, not all things, because we don't want this to be like two and a half weeks long, like some other things. Um, we're going to be discussing the Sochi Olympics and the Olympics in general and how proud we are of Great Britain and their medal hall. Very proud. Hooray, mediocrity! <laughs> and Alina is going to attempt to mock me about the U.S. performance in hockey, and I'm not going to care all that much. It'll be fun. Hi, I'm Raiden. I'm Alina, and we won hockey gold! Woo! And I'm Kaylee, and we were number 19 in the table! Woo! Best haul in 70, 80 years! Yay! See, Canada, if you just set your sights a little lower, and by a little lower, I mean significantly lower. <laughs> I'm sorry I couldn't hear you over all the gold medals we have. Yeah, but look at all the silvers you have in figure skating. Oh. <laughs> oh, very sparkly shots have just been fired. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm Russian. I have plenty of gold in figure skating. I believe the benefits of a dual citizenship people. I bullshit. No, dual citizenship comes it's so in handy when the Olympic and like world competition season rolls around. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, before we get into measuring the size of our metal halls, comparatively. Um, thought we'd maybe talk about the controversy surrounding this and why why we decided to watch the Olympics despite Russia's bullshit and that kind of thing. Because I think we should address that first off. Because God knows NBC didn't. I don't know about the BBC or CBC, but NBC just basically pretended like it totally didn't happen well we didn't we didn't pretend it didn't happen but i have serious questions about the way that it was covered mm -hmm. um it was mentioned and one of the people that we sent out to do the commentary for bbc is claire balding who is arguably the most prominent gay woman on british television so that did sort of feel like a quiet screw you to russia on that front and there was some relatively decent news coverage of it channel four did some reporting on the street violence that many um, LGBT Russians are currently receiving. They, they interviewed the mayor of Sochi who claimed that there are no gay people in Sochi at all, despite the presence of a gay bar in Sochi. But I, one of the things that they spent an awful lot of time doing was combating this rampant, disgusting homophobia by basically being ironically homophobic. There was a lot of like, oh, well, why would Putin hate the gays? He swans around topless on horses and plays judo. He's clearly a wee bit gay himself. And 
oh, look, they've got Tchaikovsky playing, and he was gay, and look how sparkly and gay their opening ceremony was. And that was the entire joke, was basically, when uh-huh. some, if you're called, you know, if you're made fun of for being gay by someone who's homophobic, then that's a bad thing. But if you are not homophobic yourself, but you're using the exact same tactics, that's okay, because that's, you know, quote-unquote ironic, and that's funny. And I found that really offensive. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was quite, and honestly, I did laugh at first. Mm-hmm. Channel 4 have this really ridiculous advert playing in between their TV shows. It's called Gay Mountain, which is basically features a very large, hairy Russian man singing flamboyantly to Gay Mountain in, you know, solidarity with Russia. And I, I laughed because I found this was hilarious to be showing this at like four o'clock in the afternoon in Britain. But that's all this footage has really been. There's not been any sort of discussion about the very serious politics of this, the stripping away of basic rights and how this has become a... You know, this is an increasing thing in Russia right now, under Putin. Mm-hmm. You know, this is very much back behind the Iron Curtain, as one commentator said it was. I don't think that there's any help by being basically as discriminatory as they are, except because we're not gay, we're okay. It's like saying that you can say the N-word because you've got a black friend. Mm-hmm. and that's just how it's constantly been and then they'll, like, occasionally they'll mention it and I, I understand when an athlete says you know I'm just here to compete because what else can they say this is their dream and obviously there are these hard circumstances in the way I don't blame them for going out there or just as much as I don't blame those who chose to stay at home mm-hmm. but it constantly feels like instead of actually attempting to tackle the topic they're doing it in the way that keeps their hands the cleanest and they're going to keep doing it because in four years time Russia is getting the World Cup. Mm-hmm. And we all know that football is hugely progressive against homophobia. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's... <clears throat> obviously, it's... Uh, there's two viewpoints here, and I think both of them have a lot of legitimacy to them. And, of course, there were a lot of people going, the only leg- the only way to demonstrate that you do, in fact, oppose Russia's horrific laws is uh, is to boycott the Olympics altogether. And the other view being is when you punish the athletes who work, some of them work all their lives for this, um, that doesn't teach any lessons to the people actually in power or to anybody. Like, it doesn't hurt anybody that you're actually trying to protest against. Mm-hmm. Um, I can see you know, logical arguments for both of his viewpoints. Um, and I, perhaps it's easy to say that, well, I choose to not penalize the, the athletes and it may just be kind of a little bit an excuse because I don't want to watch. Um, I, but also as somebody who is Russian, I'm a, I'm a little more familiar with the complexities of Russian politics. And it's not like it was this big shock to me how homophobic Russia is. Um, or how bigoted in pretty much all respects Russia is. I'm a Russian Jew. I know how bigoted Russia is. And uh, I can I talk to my family all the time. So, yes, I know how bigoted Russians are. And no boycotting the Olympics wouldn't have done anything. And I also do have this very firm belief that isolating a culture does not change it. You can only change it through through contact with other cultures. So you have to have the you have to introduce that culture to the other viewpoints like you can't just say oh you're being bad and we're never going to talk to you again and that's fine and russia's just going to say fuck you you're just you know you're disrespecting our traditions and our viewpoints no they this global village we're becoming that's what's going to start changing attitudes 
Yes, we're seeing a reactionary swing where some cultures might go, oh, no, we're feeling overwhelmed by other cultures and we have to preserve our traditions. But at the same time, um, there's traditions and then there's attitudes. And I do think the attitudes can change only kind of by the expansion of minds that comes when the borders are open. Russia was isolated, just like North Korea was isolated for a very long time. Like it was called the Iron Curtain for a reason. Mm -hmm. If the Iron Curtain didn't, you know, didn't make Russia feel bad about its <laughs> its its attitudes, what, what makes you think that reinstating it from the Western end is going to do something? Mm-hmm. I know that there were, certainly in the U.S., there were calls that that U.S. Should, delegations should boycott the Olympics. And, um, I mean, we did that in 1980, and there were a number of athletes who would have been able to compete in that Olympics that couldn't hold on for another four years. So that only punishes them. And I think that a lot of these sports... Like, bobsled only shows up on my TV every four years. I only care about bobsled every four years. I know it happens constantly, but this is their time to shine. And people remember that Steve Holcomb and allegedly the other three people in that sled, but all NBC ever talked about was Steve Holcomb, the driver of the four-man bobsled team, um, which is another problem. And we'll get to that. Um this is the only time that we remember that they exist and we get to see them and they get to show us what they do. And that's true of the majority of the other sports in the Olympic Games. So punishing the athletes by saying, yeah, I know that you were doing something cool, but I wasn't going to watch because the host country <clears throat> are being terrible, awful people. And that's all I'm going to do is not, I don't think, really does anything. Um, what a friend of mine from law school founded, You Can Play Team, which is a group that works on getting LGBT inclusion into sports teams. And they've been working with the NHL and the NFL. Um, and they they came out from the beginning and said, no, we don't think we should boycott the Olympics because sport is kind of its own separate but related thing. Um, but they did, they have been running a series of articles and essays from an, a gay reporter who's in Sochi about the, the gay culture and what it's like being a gay person in Russia called Anonymous and Sochi and will they're fascinating and they're heartbreaking and we'll link to them. Um, and I think that is kind of the more the more useful thing to do is is shine a light into what what is happening. And I think the Olympics can be very useful for that. Whether they have been, I think is still an open question. We'll see what happens in the next couple of weeks, months, years. Um, but I think the opportunity is there. Yeah. I'd like to say also, when you boycott the Olympics, you know, saying I'm not going to watch this, 
you're not you're not helping anybody. You're not helping any of the LGBTQ youth in Russia or home. You're just. I think it's got, it's a bit of a hollow gesture. I think something like what you were just talking about. You know, the exposure of of Russia, the exposure of the human rights violations, and just the the cold heartedness and and cruelty is much more damaging. Mm-hmm. Well, that's one of the opinion. reasons I really liked what um, what I really liked what Channel Four did here was they actually had reporters there. They actually talked to the LGBTQ citizens of Russia, and it was it was about hearing their voices. It wasn't about sort of imposing this sort of let's be honest, really hypocritical view that we have that we are somehow more progressive mm-hmm. than Russia. You know, queer hate crimes in Britain are huge. They're huge in America, and I didn't see anybody threatening to boycott Russia in terms of economics or business on this front when it came to LGBT rights. It was just this one event which made it pathetically easy for them to boycott because it's only two weeks. Yeah, and how many? Look at the laws being passed in Kansas and Kansas and um, uh, Arizona. Was it Arizona. Alabama or Arizona? No, it's Arizona. It's Arizona. How many people on my Twitter were going? You know, boycott those places. None? Yeah. Gay segregation apparently is fine. It's only when it's in another country and, like you said, on your screen for two weeks that we can do something about it. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, unless you have, in the U.S., unless you have a Nielsen box, NBC is not going to notice your eyeballs or lack thereof. And um, there are plenty of ads that I've seen over the past two weeks that I have no interest in those products at all because I'm just tired of the ads so, you know, whatever. Um, But I think that what people can actually do to try and prevent the IOC from supporting countries that have policies you don't like whatever they may be, is you write to the IOC and say, I don't think you should give the Olympic Games to this country because. And that is going to have a more potential effect than... Now, I I mean, I've been watching the Olympics since before I could walk. My mom plunked me down in front of the 1980 Winter Games when I was not yet two. And... I have many very fond memories of watching the Olympics with my family. So, I mean, like not (laughs) watching the games is just sort of like, it's another shared experience I have with my family, even though they're not here because I can call up my mom and go, Oh my God, did you see that snowboarding run? That was crazy. Yeah, no, definitely. Olympics, especially Winter Olympics, are so huge. Um, it wasn't until fairly recently, living here after living in Canada for years, that I realized that Summer Olympics were actually much bigger in terms of number of events. Because I always <laughs> thought the winter ones were the main ones that everybody cared about. That's so Canadian. <laughs> no, it's, that was that was just very Russian of me. <laughs> We're just happy to be there. We really are. Yeah. Hey, you guys did really, really well in London. Really. We did, actually. I was so cynical about London 2012 with the lead up to it because it was costing so much money. The security for it was just falling apart. They had to send the military in to make sure it went okay. And it was being hugely politicized by our current prime minister, who I, I really don't like. So when it came to the actual 
opening ceremony, I thought, you know, I'll just tune in and see what it was like. And then it was this completely barmy explosion of national identity and giant Mary Poppins and all these nurses. And then there was Arctic monkeys and then there was this thing. And it was the weirdest thing I'd ever seen. And I was like, oh my God, I feel so British now. The most British I've felt in such a long time. And I got really into watching it. And it was actually happening um, during the Edinburgh Festival. So I was juggling, working and then rushing home to actually watch all of this stuff because I was genuinely very into it. And that was it was really surprisingly big deal for us because I think we all went into it feeling so cynical and it did actually do what they said it it was going to do, which was brought people together. Mm-hmm. We all turned out to be really earnest and saccharine for a change. It was very strange. And then we actually all got into the Paralympics as well. We actually cared about the Paralympics. I think that might have been actually a bigger deal to me than the Olympics itself. Because mm-hmm. we actually gave all-day coverage to the Paralympics, which is something that we've never done before. And I don't think we're even going to do it for, for Sochi this year. But I would love them to do it because we are getting pretty decent coverage of it from um, the usual te- the team who did the London 2012 one, which includes the comedian Adam Hills, who has a chat show every night called The Last Leg because he's only got one leg. And they invite people, they invite all the Paralympians on and they ask them questions. And they have a segment called Is It Okay? where you can ask questions to these Paralympians that you've sort of always wanted to ask. Mm-hmm. So they ask really silly questions like, Is it okay to ask if Adam takes off his leg when he's undressing at night to have sex with his wife? <laughs> and he answers it. He says, there's no way to sexually take off a prosthetic limb. It just ends up with you crawling across the floor. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I hope that we actually get that with Sochi, although I have been disappointed that their coverage so far has primarily been going down the route of lol, putting gay, and having them reenact the gay mountain and things. Mm-hmm. With a half-naked Putin impersonator on the keyboard. Right. As you do. Mm. <laughs> um... Which I guess is a very long-winded way of us uh, acknowledging the controversy <laughs> and also saying that, yes, we did watch it. Yeah. <laughs> and also just to point out that the weird thing about the Olympics is it's simultaneously extremely political, but also depoliticizes this sort of idea of community and nations. Because mm-hmm. you have this idea of the world coming together, but it's also a chance to just show off how your country is supposedly better than the other one. Right. The entire opening ceremony for Sochi, which it was very beautiful, but it was basically, we're awesome. Well, I mean, that's that's kind of the point of the opening ceremony. Canada did it too, and so did China. Like all the countries, that's kind of the point of hosting. Yeah, London. Yeah, absolutely, London did it. And um, I I was saying before the Sochi opening ceremony is, I wonder what version of Russian history we're going to get. (laughs) And um, having the imperialism of Russia just sort of swept away by the industrial revolution and also as NBC said this commercial break I shit you not that was a thing that was actually said by Matt Lauer Ah! (laughs) Ah! why is he still allowed to commentate for like anything why is he allowed to talk why is he allowed on TV (laughs) I don't know so here's a thing that happened during the opening ceremony um and uh you guys have Anybody who follows me on Twitter remembers me just being completely and utterly blue screen over it. So the host nation walks in, um, traditionally last, and uh, there were there was music, and it was like kind of a mix of old and new pop music. Um, and Russia walks in to "Nas uh, Nie You Can't Catch Us" by Tattoo. Oh, for those, the layers on that one, I couldn't begin to grok it for, so let me clue people in. 
Tattoo, it was uh, a 90s and early 2000s. It was either just early 2000s, maybe a little bit of late 90s. Uh, girl band. Uh, music in Russia, just like in Asia, is very... The pop music is very produced. So this girl band, this duo, was created specifically to be fake lesbians. The whole idea that they were... When they held casting costumes, they were, they were going to get two girls. And their stage persona is going to be that they're two girls in love with each other. Uh, the girls themselves were not gay. Um, they didn't know each other before the audition. This was purely the audition to be in a pop band. The pop band was created. And from then on, for several years, their job was to be in love on screen and in their songs. So on one end, a lot of their songs from uh, I don't know what the English name was like, something like I Need Her, or She Drives Me Crazy, something like that. Um, and to this one, which is They Can't Catch Us, it was all about being gay and in love and persecuted as sung and produced by heterosexual people specifically for titillation purposes yeah it that's was the song super. the russian team walked out to i would i just broke right there on the spot i was like i i i don't i do not know i don't know how to sing words about this genius. I can't say if it was genius or if it just shows a remarkable lack of self-awareness. Given that this was Russia... It shows a remarkable lack of self-awareness that is generally present in all Russian endeavors. (laughs) And the fact they also kept playing Tchaikovsky as well. I mean, Tchaikovsky was pretty prominently gay. Yes, you know, uh, he wasn't gay. He just had that one manservant. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. I will say I am a total sucker for Tchaikovsky music, so I was okay for that. The fact that they played Firebird Suite, which is one of my favorite pieces of music. But it was one of those things where I was watching it, and I was very caught up in it. It was when you started thinking about it, and Captain Hindsight entered your head, and it's like, oh, they had a married couple go and light the torch. Oh, that woman said a lot of really racist things. Oh, yeah, this is pretty obviously political propaganda. Oh, oh yeah. Sorry. Well, the couple was, so Tritiak and uh, Rednina, uh, he's a hockey player. Uh, a hum- you know, one of the kind of the big names in hockey, and she, um, she's a she's a figure skater. She was a Paris figure skater who won like three or four medals in a row. And the only thing I know about her is the story my mom tells about her, where so she's hugely talented, and she didn't actually skate with the same partner. There were like two two partners because they had to switch because by the last Olympic Games she was 31, she's had a child she didn't want to do it and she didn't exactly get a choice and my mom says she remembers her standing on the podium with her medal that she at that point didn't even quite deserve, sobbing and she's like, and all the commentators are going look at her crying, you know, tears of patriotic pride and whereas my mother sitting there thinking the poor woman just knows that they can never do this to her again and she's so happy to be done um, <laughs> the fate of athletes from countries that don't quite give them a choice. <laughs> yeah. That's why I was really surprised by the fact that one of the people they had enter the enter the stadium with the Olympic torch was Maria Sharapova, who, is, to my recollection, is the only Russian athlete who's actually spoken out against the anti-LGBT laws. And then she has to hand it to Yelena Izinbaeva, who, of course, was, quote-unquote, mistranslated. I actually have no idea who she was. Nobody will offer proper translation for BBC Um music. Oh, you should have said so. I would have looked up what she said in, in Russian. I didn't. Oh, I don't recall off the top of my head, so... She talked a lot about respecting the laws of Russia. You know, it was one of those cases. 
Mm-hmm. No, I remember like what the general gist of it was, but I don't think I've ever actually looked up what it was in Russian versus English. And I actually think I always assumed that she was giving the interview in English. I didn't realize there was a, a mistranslation justification, which I actually preemptively think is bullshit. <laughs> I didn't want to say it, just in case. <laughs> Uh, okay, I'm going to admit to something. I'm being fairly quiet as Raiden and Kaylee talk about their country's respective coverage because I don't have too much to say. Uh, largely, I would I would watch on webcast just because this goes. A lot of these sports happen during work time, you know, like the nine hour time difference. Uh, and while CBC had, we were lucky in that CBC got the contract. CBC being the Can- uh, the Canada Broadcasting Corporation, so the public broadcaster. Uh, so everything was, av- all the full webcasts were available online, even as they were on the TV channels. Uh, but the commentating was slightly different. So, and because I was at work, I was watching a lot of the time, just the straight up webcast, just with those sports commentators. And I didn't bother at night to watch the more produced, uh, daily coverage, so to say. So I actually... I can't really honestly comment on the quality of Canadian coverage in terms of their the overall commentary they were doing around it. Um, I can say that they did piss me off once. <laughs> there was uh, this incident uh, where I was just watching kind of the, the more produced daily, uh, TV coverage, and they were talking about Canadian speed skaters. Now we have the Hamlin brothers, and we have Marianne Sanjelay, and Marianne uh, in the women's, and Marianne Sanjelay is dating Charles ha- Hamlin. So, and they've got you know they're both they're both metal decorated, and they had a great uh, um, great skate. Um, in the Vancouver Olympics, so for this, and they were both participating in the Sochi Olympics with more disappointing results. But here's what pissed me off: they introduced Marianne Sanjelay as Charles Hamlin's girlfriend, and in some ways, as and better known as. No, screw you. She's an athlete with her own medals, who's inspiring kids in her community to go out and compete. Because here's what she, a small town, very small town girl. Uh, achieved, and you're reducing her to somebody else's girlfriend, you go fuck yourself. Yeah, there was actually something happened here like that. Um, Lizzie Arnold, who won the one gold medal that we won for Skeleton, she was getting a lot of prominent coverage because she's a world champion and she was expected to win gold. So there was a lot of talk about her story and the fact that she's brought her four-year-old daughter to the games with her. And so the questions she was being asked about Oh, do you not feel guilty bringing your child, taking your child out of school to bring them to these games while you she's fulfill your dreams? Old. And it was like, it was like one thing. She's four years old too. She's getting to go to all of these sporting events around the world with her mom. Honestly, it sounds like she's having a pretty badass childhood to me. Third, they never would have asked that if Lizzie Arnold was a man. They never would have asked, you know, basically guilt tripped her into saying, "Well, you're making so many sacrifices for your child, for your happiness, for your career. We're still going to pat you on the back when we win, but we're going to guilt trip the hell out of you out for it." It was unbelievable. I was so angry when they did that because, you know, they're, they're clearly building up this image for her because they know she's going to win. They've spent so much doing that for the curling teams here as well, but specifically for her. And they just couldn't, you know, they couldn't resist a dig. It was so insulting. Yeah, they, NBC did something similar with Noelle Pikus Pace, who got silver in the skeleton, who she came in, I think she came in fourth in Vancouver. And she was like, okay, I'm done. And about a year later, she and her husband decided, okay, let's 
let's give this another shot, but we're going to do this as a family. So they built up this image of her as the perfect working mom who can balance being an Olympic athlete with being the mother of two or three kids. And there were ads of her dealing with the kids and basically needing to remember, well, yes, she is an Olympic athlete and she is a world-class skeleton-er. I'm not too sure what the noun is. Um, but also remember, she's a mom. She's a mom. Look at these adorable toe-headed children. She's a mom. <sighs> I've noticed the image, uh, I don't know if it's you guys for your countries, but the athletes that we have been pushing as sort of the face of the games, and this happened a lot with London as well, um, they all kind of look the same. And mm-hmm. that they're all extremely attractive, and they all either have underdog stories or they have the sort of perfect kind of polished image. One of the faces of the Olympics in 2012 was Tom Daly, the diver, mm-hmm. who has been in the Polity Eye since he was 12 years old. His dad died a couple of years before the game, so a lot of the story was building up the story of this 18-year-old boy who eventually won a bronze medal. And he's now he's quite big here, and he's now um, dating Dustin Lance Black, a screenwriter. So mm-hmm. that's become quite a big figure. But the way that they built up this 18-year-old, it's like, well, you, you know, it's like, because we, we were all bulletproof when it came to our emotions at that age. I hate to think what it'd be like when your face is on billboards across the country and you have commentators asking you constantly about your dad and asking, do you think you've done him proud? Yeah. Like, I mean, tact, people, just just a little bit. <laughs> we also, and we had that with the Paralympics as well. One of the big faces of the Paralympics was Ellie Simmons, who is 17. Mm-hmm. So not only do you have the sort of underdog story for her, you have to keep constantly mentioning the fact that she is a dwarf. Yeah. It's like, well, she's still a much more interesting person than you and a better athlete, so dear God, leave her alone. She's 17. Yeah. I stop asking her what boys she has a crush on. <sighs> you never asked that Tom Daly, or girls, what, he wasn't out at the time. Mm. But the, the huge stat double standards I've seen, because I know that... Um, they talked about this with the um, ice skaters particularly, young mm-hmm. female ice skaters and the sort of image that's built up for them. I think that's one of the aspects of the games I really disliked. Yeah. There's, you don't see them, you never saw them really build up some of the curlers in Britain, for example, a few years ago who were women in their late 30s and early 40s mm-hmm. and who didn't look like they should be, you know, advertising Nike products on the side of a bus. Yeah. Yeah, in terms of athletes, I mean, in Canada, because our women's hockey team is such a big deal, and I mean, certainly they had a much more exciting gold medal game. Um, you just this... had to mention that, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, more exciting. That, that one <laughs> actually is a little bit heartbreaking for me. The men, whatever. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> oh, God, that, we'll, we'll talk about that because that's exciting. Um, so it's like uh, Kayla was just saying that they don't even show women after the you know the young figure skaters will show, but the older ones. I mean, the hockey women. Some of them are very young, uh, but I guess they they also can can be older than say some of the figure skating girls get uh, get before they retire. Mm. Uh, but that doesn't stop them from being <laughs> very fit and beautiful. So I guess it's easy for the media to overlook ageism and just go, yeah, we'll still idolize them. Right. Haley Wickenheimer was our uh, entering ceremony um, flag bearer, but on the exit ceremony, it's going to be our bobsled f- female bobsled team. So we're just going all women for flag bearers this year. Mm-hmm. So speaking of figure skating girls, um, let's go into that next because Raiden and I have so many feelings about figure skating. Yeah. 
and let's start, let's we, start with something. Let's let's ease our way into this and not just ramp up the oh my god what the fuck barbecue at the beginning. What did you think of the whole concept of the team competition? I was cautiously optimistic. I didn't want to judge, and I really and it was kind of hazy in my mind before it started, and it only really once I saw it here that that I fully understood what it is they wanted to do with it. I like that the athletes do get a chance to see to skate in that stage before the actual competition. Now, not all of them do because only a certain amount of countries qualify. I think it was 10 teams this year. It was 10 teams, and then not everybody who was on that skating delegation could skate in it. Right, because there's only so many. I think it's technically six. Well, if you count the pairs as just one um, skating couple, it's six, I think, because you have the four disciplines, but you can also have two substitutions. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, some of the teams did send out those who did have a lot to substitute did send out their younger skaters uh, and not necessarily it wasn't always just you know their star skaters uh, weren't always the ones on the ice so I do think some of them did get to just kind of feel the crowd but I think certainly for some of them like <laughs> Yuri Lipnitska it kind of backfired we'll talk about that uh, so I think it worked both ways some of them probably got to settle into their nerves and I think for for others it was maybe a little too physically demanding mm. and I think even after seeing it the pros and cons to me one did not with the other it's still just they stayed pros and cons I think it just comes individually to the athletes I think some of them see it as a boon and some of them just see it as another um, <laughs> pressure more... point they have to put up with at the Olympics yeah. one more one more pile of bullshit to deal with Mm-hmm. And certainly it doesn't help. I don't think anybody, if they have a great skate in the team event and the hopes ramp, and then maybe not so great at the actual, but then it's another medal for them to have. So, yeah, I think it all comes down to every athlete's individual preference, and we can't predict that. Certainly as a viewer, we get more out of it. And I think it all comes down to money. Figure skating yeah. is the, t- the sport that's so watched, and, I mean, it's the one sport that gets the gala. Yeah. You don't see a hockey team skating a gala performance. Yeah. So I I, I do think, not to be too cynical, but really money was the deciding factor here, and I don't think that's going away, so I think it's here and we have to get used to it. What did you think? Um, I I agree. I think that certainly for some of the U.S. skaters getting the the early, early performance kinks out of their system was a good thing for others not so much jeremy abbott poor kid uh he's such a head case um and but like what it ended up doing to lipnitskaya especially was just awful mm. awful let's fill people in because i don't want to say awful and leave it at that uh, right yule lipnitska who I'm not just being patriotic, but she's actually not just from Russia, but from my home. She was born in my hometown. So uh, I, that alone gave me kind of a soft spot for her. Very young. She's only 15. Uh, I believe you have to turn 16 in the calendar year you're competing. Yeah, to be able she, to- a- according to the NBC commentators, she made the cut by 26 days. Wow. So there you go. 
this may be her actually her first senior competition, if I'm not mistaken, or close to it. Obviously, she, so she's just out of juniors, uh, has great talent. I'm looking forward to seeing her for many years. But here's what happened. She was the Russian skater in, in the team event, the Russian lady skater in the team event, and she skated fantastically. She took everyone's breath away, and suddenly all eyes were on her. There, the ladies actually skate last, so there's quite a bit of time in between the team event and the ladies skate, and she wasn't the only one to do this. A few of the ladies go away, they go back to wherever it is they train to just get out of that atmosphere, maybe get their head back on straight and really get, get some more training in somewhere that isn't the, the center of the world's attention. And she did that, she went back to Moscow. Except she didn't away, get away from being the center of everyone's attention. She returned to Moscow to stalking crowds, frothing at the mouth, at the train stations, at her home, at her skating rink. She's a tiny little 15-year-old being stalked by groups of fans at her home. Like, I cannot even imagine people, what is wrong with you? And under all that terrifying and I would say inhumane this would be inhumane with relation to any artist or celebrity. I think groups of groupies stalking people to their home is horrible and fans should never do this. Um, she cracked. And her performance in in the actual ladies competition landed her, was it fourth or fifth, lower? Fifth, I think. Hold on. Fourth, I, have... I think Mawasada came in She's fifth. fifth. She's fifth. Awesome. Okay, so she she ended up being fifth. When everybody was screaming, she's the second coming, she's going to get all our golds. I think that pressure was horrible for her. Uh, I'm, I think we'll be lucky if this didn't break her, and in fact, hopefully this forged her to be better prepared for her senior competitions. But I think it was horrific and unfair to do it to a child in their first senior competition. It, it was in her first senior competition. She had a number of others. She was at... Uh, Europeans, I'm looking at her Wikipedia page, and a number of Grand Prix competitions this season. Um, it was Polina Edmonds' first international competition. Um, and I can't wait to see how she grows up. That yeah, sounds really creepy. But basically, Lipinska became this prime example of the team event kind of backfiring, and international intention of athletes kind of backfiring mm -hmm. and I was just kind of my heart went out to her because I, I do think when they're so young and this is why some countries choose not to send younger athletes to Olympics cuff Emmanuel Sandukov but that's what happens sometimes and I do think she'll come through it I do think she'll have great skates um in the future ones, and Raiden mentioned Polina Ed Edmonds, who is the young skater in the U.S. So we, we it, this is kind of a weird Olympics, and I don't know if it's just, if it's true when anybody reaches the age um, that the three of us are reaching now, where we've been watching the international competitions long enough for some of our staples to start retiring, and new people start coming in. Because this year really felt like a lot of these figure skaters, which is the really the winter sport I would follow the most, mm -hmm. a lot of them that I'm so used to seeing, I'm so used to looking forward to, are saying, this is my last one, I'm going to retire now. Mm -hmm. Didn't it feel that way, Raiden? It did. I mean, Mao Asada said after her long program, I'm retiring, this is it, I'm done. And Yuna Kim um, also 
said, I'm retiring, I'm done. Um, I think that Tessa Virtue and Scott Moore were saying they were going to be done. And now I believe all of them in the past day or so have said, oh yeah, world champions is next month. I don't know. Maybe. We'll see. Kaylee's (laughs) just discovered Scott Moore. (laughs) Tell us about your newfound crash. I really don't think it's okay to narrow it down to just one. I mean, I feel like that's really unfair to the players. I'm I'm really a team supporter on this aspect. Okay, I I like watching figure skating. We actually have a channel here called Eurosport where you can watch all of the weird and obscure sports all year round. Mm -hmm. So, like, I've been watching figure skating for months now, and I've been watching, like, skeleton and even salsa dancing and bowling just because I find it all really weird and fun. So I've been watching those, but I never really got into it because there wasn't a crowd of people with that I could watch it with. And this well, is one of the great us. Yeah, well there was this huge sort of burst of enthusiasm, particularly on my Twitter feed, which became half about the you know, the actual sport itself and the other half was basically Project Runway. And I, I was yeah, well into that's it. That's pretty accurate. <laughs> I will say that Javier Fernandez is so adorable. Yeah. I watched his I watched his gala performance and he was like running across the ice and he had like little red fans and he was just jumping around and he was on his belly and it was well doesn't jason brown one of the american male single skaters have a hammer time gala routine he does oh lord really? he does he the does. shuffle yeah i put it on on tumblr a couple of days ago and we'll link it in the show notes he's another one who once once he gets a quad He's going to be unstoppable. There are a few young ones we're really going to be looking forward to. Yeah. Um, I, so I'm, I, I foresee a lot of really interesting world events between this Olympic and the next. Yeah. I think that Polina Edmonds is, has every potential of becoming the next Carolina Costner. They have the same body type. Do you notice that we do this, you and I? We Instead of just taking the young ones as they are, we keep on saying they are the new... So Yudha Lipitska yeah. is the new Sasha Cohen. <laughs> yes, that is true. And Polina uh, Edmonds I think that there was a friend of mine on Twitter who's like, I don't find Polina Edmonds all that graceful. And I said, yeah... That's because when when someone is described as cultish, mm-hmm. she is what they mean. She is all limbs. She's 15 years old. She hasn't quite figured out what to do with all of that length yet. So she's got kind of that gawky, awkward thing going on. And once she completely sorts out how to deal with her body as it has matured... It wouldn't surprise me to learn that she's had a growth spurt in the past year. Mm-hmm. Um, once she figures out how to manage all of that, she's going to be unstoppable. Did you see Carolina Costner's first appearance at, I think it was Torino? Yes. No, so. <laughs> okay, Carolina Costner, who is uh, another one of those leading ladies of ladies figure skating that is possibly retiring around this time. Um, she's 27 at this point. Yeah, it's but also... Professional sport is the least healthy thing you can do. They're all injured in every possible place they can be injured at. So that's why they retire by the time they're 30. Uh, so Carolina Costner is also she of long limbs. And she's had some programs which breath, were breathtakingly beautiful as they took advantage of that. But her first uh, appearance, I remember, I th- Torino 2006, if I if I remember yeah. correctly. Yeah, right. She ended up, she's the an Italian figure skater. And she was that 
you know, really young, just out of juniors and known, and ended up in the final flight for the free skate. And she had these, she was a baby giraffe, <laughs> the long limbs that she didn't quite know what to do with. And I remember her falling and thinking, oh my God, oh, you poor baby. And then she grew up. Mm-hmm. And she had choreographers, which choreographed these fantastic, which took advantage of her long limbs into fantastically beautiful programs and that's exactly what i see happening with polina edmonds yep yep and her her free skate in sochi was to bolero and she was amazing she her choreography and her expression totally um matched with the the kind of impending crescendo of the music and for people who have been watching figure skating forever, you'll remember Bolero from 30 years ago, or you may have heard because you're all very young. I don't know. Um, as the music Torval and Dean did to their winning ice dance, in which they were the first ice dance pair to score all sixes, we're going to get to scoring controversies. Torval and Dean is not one of them. I, I need to make that clear. Anyway, anyone trying to use that music after they did is just like, really? 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 You're going to go there. You're going to invite that inevitable comparison. And after 30 years, oh my God, I'm old. And doing it completely differently. I think that Carolina was definitely a worthy successor to that piece of music. I've seen other people try and fail. It's ugly. (laughs) So she got the bronze. That really wasn't a surprise. I don't really know what people thought the mix was. Um, But everyone kind of was figuring that the gold and silver would be between Yuna Kim and Mao Asada, as it was in Vancouver. And it wasn't. Uh, I guess we go to scoring now. <sighs> oh, uh, before we go, one last uh, bright thought in my head is that this Bolero, uh, Carolyn Costner's Bolero Free Skate, choreographed by Laurie Nickel, as um, actually all of hers. Laurie Nickel is a Canadian choreographer, and her name is one of you here most often because she choreographs everybody. <laughs> <laughs> because Canadian choreographers are some of the more in-demand ones, her and uh, David Wilson. Uh, so anything choreographed by Lauren Nickel is likely to be very good. But, yeah, scoring. This was a very emotional figure skate competition for anybody who cared, like Raiden and I care. And you'd think under the new, that the new scoring system did away with controversy. Because I remember being in Salt Lake, and I remember Syracuse and Irina Slutska, and the outrage I felt when the quote-unquote tie gave Hughes the gold, and I haven't held these... And this year is the first since then I've felt this way, only... <laughs> this year I felt this way when the Russian won! <laughs> because It's Yunit- been a very weird Olympics for all of us. Yunitskitska <laughs> wasn't... The, the, the only uh, Russian figure skater on this team. And here's how the Canadian commentators, who for us it was uh, um, Kerr Browning and Carol Lane. And they keep on calling Adelina Sotnikova. 
Adelina Sotnikova is the other Russian uh, ladies figure skater. Uh, they called her hungry and they said uh, hungry for the gold they meant and how she hated how all the attention shifted onto Yulia and she wanted that attention back on herself. You know, she's a competitor. So she skates, you know, clean, short, and is given really high marks. She's in position to fight for that suddenly for, for the medals because there was a really, there was, they were all in the 74 points, the top three after yeah. the short program. And then she, she skates the long. And here's what Raiden and I completely agree on. Yeah, she's great technically. And it was a very, it was one of, one of those very clean programs with a lot of, uh, you know, really elements that have high marks but we both agree oh she's still young she's not really that musical the program interpretation isn't really up to par i mean she has time to grow and develop and it happens a lot when the skaters are still just numbering off the jumps in their head and not really skating to the music and apparently the judges did not agree with us because her program component scores were some of the highest ever through the roof through the roof Higher than Mayawa Sada's, who was certainly better at it. Had than... And suddenly, she is so far in the lead for the gold. I still don't understand how it happened. No. I honestly still do not understand. The, none of the commentators understood how it happened. Kerr Browning kept on sitting there going, where did the scores come from? Where did these scores come from? Mm-hmm. Now, it's true that Adelina, and I apologize for butchering the pronunciation, but... I just don't have those. Um, that Adelina had one more triple than Yuna, and she, and there's a I think it's a New York Times article. I'll find it and link it. That sort of broke down where the technical high marks came from, and I don't think anyone's really arguing with that. Um, even though she did two feet of landing, but she did have an extra triple and she backloaded her program so that as anyone who listened to Scott Hamilton every night for the past two weeks knows that if you do anything cool, any jumps or spins in the last 50% of your program, you get a 10% bonus. Why? Because your legs are tired. And he kept saying that over and over again. I hate him so much. I can't flames the side of my face. Anyway, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Adelina backloaded her program so that she was doing a lot of things in the last half and Yuna did not. So, okay, that's where the technical marks came from, but the the musicality, the expression, the everything, like, she could have been doing her program to any piece of music because nothing she did had any relation to the music. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of her big problem. It's like, it's like she's, she's a Tonya Harding type, only with a lot more consistency to back it up. And less crazy. We hope. Well. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, so that result, and it's, so she basically, what we're saying is she got the gold that we still don't believe she deserved. No matter how young and happy she was. Um, and, it's not like that figure skating event was free of, of you know emotion as is because 
Mao Asada, oh my god, talk of making me cry. <laughs> uh, Mao Asada is a Japanese figure skater who's got, you know, world titles and the Olympic silver, right, from last, from Vancouver. And this this is probably one of her last competitions because she's also one of those skaters who has been on for quite a few seasons now. Mm-hmm. And she had... A horribly heartbreaking short program. She is the only woman currently in competition jumping a triple axel. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't always land. And in the short program, she didn't land it. And that just completely screwed with her emotions and her nerves and her headspace. Uh, she lost the program. She, the other two jumps weren't clean either. She didn't even do one of her combinations. Basically, she got one of the lowest scores she's ever had in her career. Uh, not only out of metal contention, but skating in the second flight. Yeah. Out of four. And the better... F- the, the, the higher contenders, you score, the later you skate. The later you skate, exactly. And with kind of nothing left to lose and really no medal left to fight for, she skated the perfect long program. She landed the triple axel, but she skated beautifully. She skated to the music. She was gorgeous on that ice. I I, I was tearing up. I'm sitting at work in my cubicle tearing up at the end of her program. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. And then you can see a tweet from me after I watched it on primetime going, Helena, you didn't tell me that she started crying before she even finished her program. How dare you not warn me about it? Oh. <laughs> the quota of fields was exhausted for that day. Pretty much. <laughs> now, um, and some so, of her program component scores were lower than Adelina's. Mm-hmm. I don't know how that happened. No. No. Now, there was an accusation by a French magazine that the U.S. and Russia colluded to give Russia the team gold medal and the U.S. would get the ice dance gold medal. But this had nothing to do with it. <laughs> That's not what the de- this is not what the deal was for. You know, how do they... How, un- I, I don't know. Under the current system where the, the scores are anonymous and the highest and the lowest automatically get discarded... I don't know. How does collusion happen? That's another thing. If somebody told me that some sort of bribery went in to make Adelina win, okay, in some ways the scores make me believe it, but how does it... I thought the whole point of the new system is that it's inscrutable that way. Would they have had to literally bribe every judge there? Probably. Pro- I, I guess. Or at least... For them all to score her within a certain like scoring range for the program components, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I know that the South Korean IOC has, um, or the South Korean Olympic Committee has requested an inquiry into the scores. I mean, Yuna Kim was I, flawless as always. <laughs> yeah, she was. I don't mean to be mean about Yuna because I actually say this with with full sincerity when I make jokes like, you know, she comes on down from her ivory tower and... <laughs> Swans on down and does everything perfectly and then disappears back and back up. Uh, but Yuna's very admirable in that, I don't know if your commentator said so, I hope they did, because ours did, that the the new Korean, she, the only reason she did Worlds last season mm-hmm. is so that the Korea, South Korea could send three women 
to the Olympics. Uh, she's kind of the not just the goodwill ambassador, but she's very active in developing the sport in mm-hmm. her home nation. She, those girls are her protégés. She picked the music, at least for one of them, she picked the music and even gave her her choreographer. That's mm-hmm. how active she is in their development. Although Kurt Browning was joking, well, if you didn't like the music, but Una Kim chose it for you, do you get to say that, no, I kind of no. don't want to? No, you don't. <laughs> you don't. Una Kim said so. Um, and I think that's really admirable. I think that's great. You know, she's not going to skate forever, and she doesn't want to, right? Like, at some sure. point, you, do, you just don't need that anymore. And what does she need? She's got all of the medals she could possibly have. She's got all of the medals. She's got all of the money. She's... Oh, look, there She's is... given away so much money. This is what I wish Plushenko would do with the Russian male figure skaters, because he keeps on complaining that that Russia doesn't have anybody to replace him, and this is why he skates, although he's also getting to that point where he doesn't want to anymore. Mentor somebody. Stop bitching about it, and stop going out on the ice with your broken back. <laughs> Let's talk about the men's program, um, because I think Kaylee has some words to say about butts. Can I just interrupt with very brief but breaking news, because I am watching the closing uh, ceremony live as we record, and they just made fun of that one snowflake not opening into the Olympic ring. (laughs) I was going to see how they they had uh, uh, performance in silver from the rings, but the performance on the rightmost ring actually stayed in a little circle (laughs) while the rest opened up into it the rings okay russia's got a sense of humor we we do it's not about the gays right (laughs) i don't think i've seen putin crack a smile he's a spy he doesn't smile (laughs) as in a literal kgb resident in germany for those who i know i'm actually i'm currently reading masha gesson's book about his rise to power and how they sort of tried to put him in his position as an easy to operate puppet and that was disaster (laughs) But yes, back to men in spandex with fantastically toned athletic bodies. Katie? (laughs) I'm a great appreciator of the aesthetics of the sport. (laughs) And all its sparkly v-necked glory. We... (laughs) We may have objectified the male figure skaters on Twitter a little as we watched that competition. Well, okay, Patrick Chan is just the most handsome thing is the most handsome thing. Hizuru Hanyu turns himself into an air guitar during his short program. It is... I love watching it. I think I rewatched it so much. It's so cute. I think one of the reasons it's really fun to watch the ice skating as a Brit is that this really hasn't been our sport since Torval and Dean. So I can mm-hmm. kind of just go wild and kind of root for anybody, really. I mean, we did send people, but they were rubbish. Yeah. But we liked them. They did very well, despite the fact that they clearly weren't that good. We're very proud. There is a correct answer to the question, who is the sexiest male figure skater? And that answer is Daisuke Takahashi. Yeah. And I know I've still got a soft spot for Javier Fernandez. He's just so adorable. <laughs> He I... is, but Javier Fernandez and um, Amodio, oh, the French figure skater. Oh, the French oh, one. Yeah, yes, uh, they, they make me feel like a perf because at this point I'm getting to that age. Yeah. <laughs> Yuzuru Hanyu doesn't because he's not sexy. He's just adorable. He's pure bottled up adorableness. He's pure, he, he looks like an anime character. I mean, his costume for the long program. 
I've seen that anime. I know I have. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Kaylee's mom. Hi, Kaylee's mom. There's no way for me to do that quietly, so. No, not really. You could actually, actually mute yourself on Skype. <laughs> I keep forgetting I can do that. <laughs> but then we wouldn't get your mom. Right. <laughs> now, as far as the Ameri- American figure skaters in general, with the exception of Meryl Davis and Charlie White, they're all kind of there. The women, I didn't really give a fuck about. Um, because we don't because- like them. Because we don't... Well, I mean, Polina Edmonds... Okay. I like her, but she's a baby. And yeah. she, she hasn't had time to fuck up yet. <laughs> and Ashley Wagner, on the other hand. I'm so <sighs> glad my irrational hatred of her is being justified. Yeah, that's how I felt, because I just... Yeah. I, I turned to Raiden and I said, is it okay that I don't like them? And Raiden was like, no, 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 it's okay, and here's why. Because <laughs> no, right. Gracie Gold is just, like... Has this whole perfect porcelain ice princess persona down and god i hate her long program costume so much with the high collar bejeweled just no just no um but there are tweets of her making fun of mao asada's accent and ashley wagner i think is another tanya harding type who doesn't have the chops to back it up um She's not. If she went yeah. out there swinging with a crowbar. I might have had a little bit of respect for her, but oh dear God, I just yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, look, the controversy over her being selected for the team over um, Mariana. Yeah. Uh, Can you explain this to me? Because I've only sort of heard it. It's Mariana Gasso, I want to say, right? Mariana Gasso, yes. Um, what happened was is that the U.S. team we had four, we had three spots for the women, and. Um, the Nationals competition in January was sort of the de facto trials, um, but US, USA figure skating did not specifically say top three go to the Olympics. They're, that's kind of what they've done in the past, but this time, um, Gracie Gold won, Polina Edmonds came in second, Mirai was third, and Ashley was fourth after a couple of falls, but they picked Ashley over Marai, um, Marae, sorry. Um, and part of the reason was Marae showed up without a coach and apparently has been kind of a head case this entire season. And Ashley has a lot more um, international experience. Um, Marae did come in fourth in Vancouver and was thrilled. I mean, she spun so hard she gave herself a bloody nose. Um, but was really kind of gunning for it and they picked Ashley over her and there's some speculation that it's race related which probably is a factor. Um, but I don't think it's the only factor. They were saying, oh, well, Ashley already has all of these packages of they're presenting her as the Olympic Ice Princess, which is not so much true. It was mostly Gracie Gold who got the who got the endorsement deals and everything. I think Ashley was involved in a couple that I saw. Um, I think that really 
USA Figure Skating was kind of looking at the field going, we got nobody who can compete, who can possibly really challenge for the gold. And they're trying to go towards more of the Marta Caroli version of picking the national teams and looking at the body of work. And going, Which is to say it's kind of the money ball theory of picking your team. It's kind of the money ball theory, and that's worked out really well for U.S. gymnastics. Um, so that's kind of what happened, and there was a significant backlash against Ashley Wagner. I mean, it wasn't her fault. That She didn't, you know... It wasn't her fault, um, but coming out and being like, I totally deserve to be here. I don't completely suck is kind of her thing. I don't think she's quite as good as she thinks she is. Oh, she really isn't. <laughs> I'm just saying that as someone who doesn't entirely know a whole lot about the sport, but there were so clearly so many competitors that were better than her who didn't have to pull this whole, oh, well, I should deserve better with that ace. Yeah. But I know, I know they're trying to turn her into a meme like they did with Kylie Maroney. It's like, mm-hmm. not even close. No. She also doesn't have the excuse of only a teenager. She's a grown-ass woman. <laughs> I just like to point out that they're singing the Russian anthems right now and they have all the Russian gold winners. And like the figure skaters are all singing except Victor Ahn <laughs> standing there with face. <laughs> it's just a, such a funny image. Victor Ahn being a speed skater who's actually Korean who skates for Russia. <laughs> This is, uh, can we maybe talk about this? You know, we talk about a lot about nationalism and how uh, athletes represent their countries, but really that's not always true. Athletes represent the country they feel will help them get ahead. Well, that's yeah, what's been there's... happening here a lot because we don't have the provisions for proper training unless you basically want to be do curling, mm-hmm. which is weird because we actually have a lot of pretty decent skiing here. I live in a region where there has been a lot of skiing recently because we actually had the snow for it. But one of the competitors for France is British, but his dad is French, and they just have better training there. So, I mean, I think a lot of the case, for a lot of people, it is a, a really strong case for patriotism. They really want to represent their country, but other people, it's just about the sport. And I completely yeah. understand both of them, but I did find it very funny whenever this this English guy who was playing for France was competing in the snowboarding, and you could tell how excited the, the uh, the commentators were for this. It's like, look, we've kind of got a horse in the game. It's okay. And then he didn't do very well. And it was like, oh, okay, then let's go back to that American guy. Yeah. Well, uh, um, Tatiana Molasajar, who's part of the Russian gold winning um, pair skate, she's actually Ukrainian. Mm-hmm. Um, but so is Alona Savchenko, who skates for Germany. <laughs> right. I mean, there's, there's a lot of, I mean, just look at, to go to the summer games, Oksana, mm-hmm. uh, Shit. The 37 year old Walter. Oh, 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 God. I know who you're talking about. Yes. Oh, Chivitsina? Is that what we're talking about? Yeah. Chisavitna. I think I missed a syllable. Anyway, (laughs) she started on the Soviet team and then was part of the unified team in 92. And then I think she was on the. Uzbekistani team and then moved to Germany because they could give her her son um, son's medical, medical treatment. treatment and she competed for them for a while now she's back on the Uzbek team where she competed in all around last year she is 38 and she competed in all around 38. that is badass mm. she's 
hardcore. She's one of those um, gymnasts that they have moves named after. Yeah. And she's going to compete in Rio in 2016, or she says she's going to. She's she's going for it. I hope she does. I want to see a 40-year-old on that floor just showing 15-year-olds how to do it properly. Yeah. I don't know if that'll be the case, but it'll be really cool. Yeah. And back to the nationalist thing, because as I've mentioned before, Scotland's going to vote if it wants to be an independent country or not this year. And as always, it became a very politically fraught thing to talk about the sports, because... During 2012, the guy who, First Minister of Scotland, had this habit of talking about the Scottish Olympians, who he referred to as the Skolympians, which makes me want to flush my head down uh-uh. the toilet. Uh-uh. Um, Not okay. And he started attempting to do it this year with Sochi, because the curling teams, both the curling teams, men and women, are entirely Scottish, because this is one thing that Scotland's actually quite good at. We have well, you do have a lot history. of rocks. And I'm reasonably, yeah, and I'm reasonably sure Curling we invented wasn't invented it. in Scotland, was it? That's what I it was. think we did actually invent it. To Wikipedia! We did. <laughs> it might be in Canada, but it was either Canada or us. Hang on a second, I'm going up to Wikipedia. Origins and history. Medieval Early Scotland, medieval it was ours. Scotland. <laughs> yep, that was ours. But it was one of the things that we're good at, and we have this team, and they won silver and bronze, so half of the medal hall, if you wanted to get political, came from Scotland. And this has already turned into this really huge and frankly embarrassing issue to talk about. I'm already really, really sick of talking about the the election for independence because I'm sick of having people, you know, lecture me on my own national identity. But to see it divided over something so, let's be honest, rather petty as curling. It's like the other four years you know, going, you don't give a shit about curling. You never talk about it. You never have it on TV. You never, you know, you're not putting the money into it to support it. That's another reason that we suck at it. We don't, our government doesn't put the money into it. It does not put money into sports at all. So unless you're really wealthy or privately school educated, you're not going to get to these sports. I think it's something like half of our athletes in London were privately educated, whereas overall only 6% of people in the entire country are. So that gives you an idea of just how heavily divided it has become based on economics. Surely, if we're going to have this big debate over our nationality, can we do it over something less daft than curling? Although recently we have been doing it over David Bowie. Because David okay. Bowie came out. David Bowie got, won a Brit Award, and instead of turning up to give the speech, he sent Kate Moss to give a short speech for the award, and it ended with him saying, and to my friends in Scotland, please stay with us. That's quite badass, okay? I mean, it's the most hilariously lazy speech ever, but it was still pretty cool to hear that him say that. And it became this huge, ridiculous area of controversy saying who is he to tell us you know what to do in scotland there's like it's jada from labyrinth like what what is wrong with you <laughs> it was like and all these people who were like nationalists were suddenly saying oh i never liked david bowie anyway it was like you fucking oh, liar liar you liar liar <laughs> but i now really want david bowie to debate alex salmond on the union but have him do it entirely through kate moss <laughs> and bowie and bowie puns you know just like have him randomly start singing space Yeah, Yes, I was thinking like he should even so- it should be debate the musical. <laughs> I'd watch that. Uh, I, I want that. Like if I have to put up with this debate until September and it's going to kill me and I can't leave the country to stop it, can I at least have it done through music? Yes. Or maybe we can have musical curling, since that seems to be something we're good at. <laughs> no, that's what I, I want to see some. Well, like, did you win any medals in curling? Because I distinctly remember Canada winning medals in curling. We lost Canada in the men's final, but we won silver, mm. and then we won bronze for the women's. I'm um, just being all sorts of uppity about this medal thing, aren't I? <laughs> you are. You are. And 
that's okay. I mean, when I was little, when I was little, and by little, I mean I cared deeply about medal counts up to at least three Olympiads ago. Um, I cared very deeply about, no, we have to win the medal hall. We have to win it. Well, this is American jingoism at its best. I was such a good little patriotic American. And okay. now, now <laughs> I'm still weak. The hockey, when the women's uh, gold medal game, which women's games were much more exciting than men's this year oh, to yeah. me. So the gold medal game did come down to Canada and the US and <laughs> suck it. But it was so exciting because Canada was losing and it was 2-0 it was two zero in the third and everybody was, and suddenly we scored. And then it was like three minutes to the end of the game. And at this point, nobody's working. We're all just watching. <laughs> With 54 seconds to go in regulation, we tie the game. Everybody from my manager to the entire floor is going, yeah! <laughs> and we scored in overtime to win it. And it was the most exciting thing ever. Well, that was a good game. I mean, when... When the U.S. and Canada were men's teams were in the the semifinal, and I was like, okay, all right, Canada, I can't be friends with you for the next hour. <laughs> and Canada won, and good for you. I can be generous in defeat. And then the U.S. had to play Finland for the bronze. I was like, okay, you know what? I'm team Finland now because well, good after you, because that, isn't that quite embarrassing no judge by the score. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> after that, you deserve no cookies. Team Finland, go Finland. Because Finland won five zero. <laughs> Finland did win five zero. I have I have a really good friend on Twitter who is his mother is Finnish, mm-hmm. and so we've been giving each other jingoistic nationalistic shit in terms of Sweden versus Finland. <laughs> For the past two weeks. It's been the best. <laughs> it's been the best. Like, oh, look at that, Finland. You got a medal in snowboarding. Good and for you. That's so cute. And he's like, yeah, snowboarding's one of the few things we're actually good at. And I said, you think you'd be better at biathlon considering, you know, you sort of invented it. And he's like, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> I thought Norway invented it. Um, biathlon is pretty much how Finland from my understanding, how Finland got Russia to leave. <laughs> I do think it is. I am weirdly obsessed with biathlon. I just think it is the most wonderful Before we move on from hockey, I just want to give you one illustration of what it's like to live in a hockey nation like Canada. Um, as the game, men's game was going on, and I knew that uh, like I, I I had to leave work. Well, the work was over, so I left work, and we had to go to the bank. And as we're finishing our transaction, I just look at the teller and go, what's the score? Without <laughs> skipping a beat, he goes 1-0. Nobody asks which score or no. which game or whatever. No, they know exactly what you're talking about, and they're going to know the score for you. That's exactly what it's like in Boston during the World Series if the Red Sox are in it. It's exactly like that. Uh, but skate. Do you guys notice how there were posts on Tumblr going, <laughs> close signs on Canada. I'm sorry, the country you're trying to reach is watching hockey right now. <laughs> Please call back later. That's accurate. But you mentioned how big is the party going to be in Canada tonight? I mean, that's going to be one hell of a shindig, isn't it? 
you know, it was interesting in Van- after Vancouver. There was just because it was a big rivalry and a big game, and it was also our nighttime, so it was real time. But here, I woke up and it was r- winding up. Mm-hmm. So, like you part. I mean, not that we're averse to partying at nine a.m., but <laughs> it's not the same. People probably just went back to bed because they probably woke up <laughs> to watch this. I, I have a friend who who goes to school at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver. And when when the 2010 hockey finals were over, she's like, well, I think Canada, she's not Canadian. <laughs> she's American. Well, I guess I'm not going out tonight. <laughs> Stay indoors, lock your windows, just Pretty much. Pretty much. Although she did get to go see some curling matches. So that but I'm back to skateboarding, because do you notice how there's Winter Olympics and then there's skateboarding as kind of its own world? Yeah. It's like tiny 15-year-old Japanese boys and American skater punks with, like, mohawks. Yeah. It's, I love it. I love going from figure skating, which is all sparkly spandex and slicked back hair and, you know, perfect choreographed programs, and then you go to the skateboarding hills. And it's like rock sign. <laughs> rock on sign. Pretty much. I mean, this this Olympics added a whole bunch of of extreme winter sports to, to bring in the young kids who don't want to watch cross-country skiing. And why don't you want to watch cross-country skiing? It's hilarious. <laughs> Um, so a whole bunch of events like half pipe on skis, which just looks like a terrible idea. And after watching one kid tear his ACL on national international TV, I don't need to watch that again because he's like, they held the camera on him for a good 30 seconds as he's holding his knee and screaming. And I have screamed the scream of someone who tore their ACL. I don't need to watch other people do it. I just don't. Professional sport is not healthy. The injuries on these people. Hmm. And can we talk about the absurdity of speed skating board, like foam boards for figure skating and how it almost injured some people? No. What? Do you remember? It was, oh, who caught their skate? It was either one of. It wasn't one of the uh, medal contenders. Oh, well, then NBC didn't show it. Oh, right. Okay, so there was. And I don't want. I remember the skater being Asian. I think it was either one of the young Korean girls or Japanese, but I honestly don't remember who it was specifically. But, okay, here's the thing about skating boards is that for figure skating, for those who don't follow the sport, these are just kind of hard boards. Um, I mean, they don't kill you when they slam into them if they fall, but. That there's they're not cushioned, where speed skating boards are cushioned, and they're kind of for, foam covered by this linoleum, and it's not whole. There's there's sections. Uh, f- for these Olympics, the figure skaters and the short track speed skaters shared an arena, so the boards, for safety reasons, of of course, had to be the padded speed skating boards. And this figure skater, uh, she landed one of her jumps too close. 
if these were the regular figure skating boards, she might have actually fallen, but her blade would have bounced off the hard surface. It would have either been like a stumble or a smaller fall, and it wouldn't take her out of the program. But because these were the padded boards covered by linoleum, her skate went into the gap between the two bits of linoleum, caught on it, completely tripped her up. Oh, God. She was... And then she had to recover. She couldn't skate for about 15 seconds. She had to skate just to catch up to where she was supposed to be to do the next jump. And I always hate things like that because this is not the athlete's fault. This is not their fault. This is equipment getting in the way. And it always just irks the hell out of me. And I just wish, I don't know. I don't know what they could have done because obviously the safety on the speed skate in that case kind of took priority. But maybe somebody could have made the linoleum coverings in a way that they didn't catch skates in them. Yeah. Then again, this is Russia, and we all saw the tweets from journalists and athletes about the accommodations they had to live in. And trust me, that embarrassment is much more effective than any boycott would have been. <laughs> Unfinished hotels? Unlivable conditions? Come on. Yeah. You want Sur- the toilets? Oh my Sur- god, the surveillance. Toilets. <laughs> surveillance in the showers. There you you see that? No, actually, Howland. Um, I really, I really enjoyed the communal toilets that were basically just side by side with no barriers covering yeah. them at all. <laughs> I don't know how you go to the toilet in Sochi, but that's not what everyone else does. <laughs> Pretty much. No, there was some journalist was talking about um, how their bathroom was essentially falling apart, and the response from from Russia from the officials was. Well, we know for a fact from surveillance that what this person did was turn the shower on and aim it at the wall and leave for several hours. I'm just saying that maybe saying we have surveillance in the bathrooms is not the best PR move to deal with that kind of situation. (laughs) I'm just guessing. I don't know. I don't even... Yeah. There was also the guy who kept constantly getting locked into his bathroom and had to break through the doors. (laughs) Like a man. Uh, He was a snowboarder, I believe, so... There are just too many doors! Could he just jump out the window and land on them? Maybe. I don't know if there was any snow. I'd like to point out that Sochi is a summer resort. Yeah, well, they... 17 degrees last week. There were people walking around in shorts and t-shirt while everyone else, like all the news presenters, had on their big puffy jackets and hats and they're trying to give this illusion it's really cold. There's people walking around in the background. I was worried when they chose Sochi and I thought, well, how are they going to have snow for the skis, you know? Well, there was lots and lots of problems with um, courses being too very slushy. Um, Mm -hmm. The, if you look at the results for the men's slalom from yesterday, half the field did not finish because the course set was pretty ridiculous, even in optimum conditions. And then with a layer of slush over ice. Difficulty was, setting Russia. <laughs> difficulty setting <laughs> Russia. That's the ridiculous part because, you know, the whole world has this idea that, oh, Russia is the snowed nation. Well, no, Russia is humongously big and the southern bits of it are actually in the south and Sochi is a southern bit. <laughs> yeah. Well, yes. Why did they, they choose did... Sochi? I don't, I don't, I don't understand. I mean, maybe they thought sending them to, for, say, Yekaterinburg, where I'm from, <laughs> would be a little too cruel. Well, also illegal because it used to be a closed city. <laughs> 
I don't think it is anymore, but it used to be. <laughs> Weapons manufacturing. Shh. Didn't hear it from me, even though that's what my grandmother did. That explains a them. lot. Anyway. <laughs> what? Um, what? <laughs> <laughs> I did. In the welcoming speech in the opening ceremonies, I think it was the president of the Russian Olympic Committee. It was like, Welcome to Sochi! There are palm trees outside! Have fun! <laughs> uh, so, yeah. I mean, the the mushy snow was definitely a problem in the snowboarding halfpipe, on the downhill course, Bodie Miller, wine, wine, wine. Oh, I did really shitty in the downhill because the conditions were really bad. It's like, yeah, but everybody had the same conditions. So, this this has been a great Olympics for assholery Schodenfreude. <laughs> I have to tell you that. Because Bodie Miller choked like a choking thing. <laughs> Sean White also choked like a choking thing. I hear an awful lot of judgment in your voice. And it's yeah, beautiful. I, I am fully on board the judging Sean White bandwagon because they interviewed him on the BBC and he was a dick. Yeah. And he, he basically flew out himself and then had his plane booked for thinking, oh, I'll win my medal and I'll just fly back to New York. And when he lost, he just got on the plane with nothing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the most beautiful little cackle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're all about supporting the athletes, aren't we? Hey, you know what? When the athlete is as big an asshole as Bodie Miller is, I have no problem with that. I don't. Does Canada have asshole athletes? I don't think you're allowed to. I'm trying to think of, is Sidney Crosby an asshole or not? Because I don't know. I just know that hockey and puck and gold. You guys have enough assholes in your politics to deal with without having to get them into your sports. <sighs> okay. This, this was... <laughs> I don't. I fail to see how that analogy works. This was on Twitter. Funny. You have so many lovely, lovely, nice-looking, um, very happy and competent ice hockey players that that helps to balance out some of the sort of the more difficulties of Canadian life. This was on Twitter when I woke up this morning okay, uh, from the Every Tweet Ever account. Canada for a rare non-Rob Ford reason. Oh fuck you! <laughs> Rain in my parade, why don't you? Yeah. Oh, you know what? What Twitter account I really have enjoyed mm-hmm. Canada stats yes Canada <laughs> stats is amazing I have not seen this one so I am looking it up now yeah. <laughs> is it stats Canada I uh, you have to understand like not the official it's stats underscore Canada this yeah. funny one yes yep. it's the sadder one because it's not the actual stats Canada <laughs> Twitter account no the the more accurate satire Oh. <laughs> Which Canada today, after our perfect. win, tweeted Canada is statistically perfect. Yep. Oh bless. Yeah, one hundred percent of Canadians just can't right now. Yeah. Eighty-five <laughs> percent of Canadians wish the women's team could play tomorrow's game too. <laughs> that is beautiful. One hundred percent of Olympic ice dancing competitions are rigged. Oh, Canada. <laughs> Eight Most out of Canadians ten Canadian IT day. departments would like to remind you not to stream video at work. Ha, 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 no. Yeah, no. <laughs> Look, if the Olympics happen when I'm at work, it's going to get streamed. Yeah. And I would have liked to. I would have liked to very much. Except that you can, NBC only allows you their live stream 
coverage if you have cable. So if you don't have cable, like I don't have cable, I'm limited to what they show on primetime. And the website that they did for the Sochi Olympics was so terrible, like finding videos of like one ice skating routine or one run down the downhill mountain was impossible to find if it even existed. It was pretty horrible. And then, of course, I'd whine about it on Twitter and people would be like, why don't you just TiVo the the live coverage with Johnny Weir and Tara Lipinski and watch it when you get home. Like, well, I wish I could, but again, please see how I don't have cable. And I got pretty mad at a couple of people after like the eighth time people said the same. This is why Canada is superior medicine and full Olympic coverage. Yep. (laughs) Cannot argue with you there. (laughs) Can we talk about Johnny Weir? (laughs) Okay. When Johnny Weir said he's not going, did you feel this was a decision based on Russia's politics? Because I wouldn't blame him if it was. Um, I don't honestly don't know how much he's been skating in the past couple of years. It's just, it's kind of a little sad because he is such a Russophile. Yeah. He even speaks a little Russian to Tarasova, which I thought was adorable. Mm-hmm. He thanks her in Russian when he walks off the ice. It's really cute. Um, so I was one, you know, if this didn't have, if this Russia wasn't as big of an asshole as our government usually is, uh, would he have kind of looked forward to doing it and maybe hoped and maybe skated in order to do it? Maybe? Uh, Maybe. I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know. So, but his outfits during the coverage. They were pretty good. And I was, I was actually really quite impressed with Tara Lipinski's coverage as well. I mean, people give her a lot of shit, but I mean, she was, what, 15 when she won? And then she was like, well, I've done, (laughs) I've dreamed the impossible dream. I got my windmill, so I'm done. I just remember her as because what during the entrance ceremony, because she was so young and so little, she was sitting on somebody's shoulders. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, but her name recently came up because as we were talking earlier with the Mirai Nagasu um, controversy is that wasn't there something about Tara Lipinski going over Michelle Kwan or something like that? Um, no, actually uh, Michelle Kwan was at that, was at the Nagano game. She got silver, I think. Um, but Michelle might have been able to go to Lillehammer if Nancy Kerrigan hadn't petitioned onto the team Mm. after the Tony Harding attack. Uh, She was 13 and probably, (laughs) in hindsight, happy to be out of that complete clusterfuck. (laughs) Oh, figure skating drama never change. Pretty much. Although, ideally... Not involve attacking people. people. That'd be nice. And also, not weird scores. Just not drama weird. we can enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the the spin that Sonikova does, where she basically turns oh. herself two-dimensional, that is pretty cool. Yeah, I was tweeting about that, because the one thing that Sotnikova does that I can appreciate is that she, in fact... You know what that thing cats do when they're freaked out? 
they go mm-hmm. sideways. She goes yeah. sideways during her, what's it, the camel spin? Yeah. It's, it, 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 she has that mutant power. Let's put it that way. Well, I'll, I'll try and find a gif so that people can. She kind of becomes a weather vane. Yeah. It's weird. It's cool. <laughs> it's weird. That's probably what I'll always remember her, her for if she does nothing else is the weather vane spinner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Lipnitska skates like she has no joints. Yeah, it's true. As Sasha Cohn used to do. Hey, Nor- Norway is getting its women's skiing medals right now during the closing yeah. ceremony. Cool. Yeah. Victor ceremony. A sweep gold, silver, and bronze. Good for them. Mm-hmm. It's weird because there's... Are there any events left? Because, you know, the, the ceremonies aren't these clean bookends. So the gold medal... The medal count might still slightly change one way or another. If... No, I, I think... I think they're I think they're done. I think... Uh, you think this was the last thing they had? I think this is the last thing. I think this is like the... The marathon medals are yeah, usually think... presented during the summer closing ceremonies. Mm-hmm. What what is that? Is that Kaylee typing? I think so. Okay. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I didn't really have anything to add. I thought you guys were on such a groove there. I would just like Google pictures. Okay. We didn't mean to leave Kaylee out of it, but you know, <laughs> Rachel and I have no, so I mean, thoughts, my... and Kaylee's just like Scott Moore's pretty. Yeah, my Scott entire Moore's enjoyment pretty. of anything sports related is one aesthetic reasons. Two, does anyone get injured? And three. How people being good at things I will never be good at because I am so anti-sport myself, mainly because I'm incompetent, lazy, and really clumsy. So watching people who are at the prime of their you know careers when they're like four years younger than me, I find both endlessly fascinating and incredibly depressing. Yeah, yeah. I was like that during the Olympics when all these like fifteen-year-old girls were winning gold medals for gymnastics and. And then they all had to suddenly retire. And I was like, oh, dear God, I haven't even got a job yet. So that's my main sort of contribution to it. That and just injuries, which I find amazing. And I know I shouldn't, Uh, but, you know. Yeah, well. Um, I think one thing we should mention is that this is the first Olympics in which women's ski jumping has been a thing. Because not that long ago, I think... Within this century, um, people were saying, oh, no, it's dangerous because their uteruses might shake out or something. Delicate little ladies. <laughs> Delicate little ladies can't jump off big mountains like the men can. <sighs> I have not heard <laughs> of any random uteruses being found at the bottom <laughs> of the ski jumping hill, so I'm going to assume that didn't happen. <laughs> I feel like it's a pretty good assumption on my part. <laughs> I can't believe that this, in 2014, we're still having the conversation of women are too delicate for that sport. Yeah. Well, it only yeah. took till 2012 for them to instigate women's boxing, and I can understand the argument for that one slightly more. Because nobody like, should box. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but like, yeah, there's the whole argument about boxing is should anyone do it full stop? Yeah. But yeah. delicate ladies ski jumping, like yeah. really? The the Canadian women's Olympic hockey team would like to tell you fuck you, and also they have the gold medal. 
<laughs> I feel like this will be the drinking game for this entire episode. When does Alina drop a, a Canada medal? Canada hockey medal. <laughs> Take a drink and then apologize profusely. Our actual TV, um, I don't know what to call it. You know how TV stations do these little, they're not even ads because they don't necessarily advertise anything, though they might have a business sponsor. They're just those Olympic interlude graphics they make. Mm -hmm. Well, this one had, they had these two stick figures. They were Pride and Honor, I think, or Pride and Joy, something like that. And they drop yet another hall of gold medals into a little travel chest. And it has a Canada sticker in it, and they add a Russia sticker on it, and then they walk off. (laughs) Oh, I know that there were last last weekend there were bars in Boston that opened up at 7:30 in the morning so you could go watch the US Russia hockey game live with beer as is only right and proper everything's better with beer yeah weren't Canadians true. able to use their passports to get their own special beer at Sochi what? Yes, yes. Did you not hear there was a story? beer machine, I think, at Canada House, where you would wave your Canadian passport with the RFID chip, <laughs> and it would give you beer. And it only works with Canadian passports. Is this right and proper? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the beer fridge at Saatchi Olympics. Yes. <laughs> only open for Canadians, and I'll link you, yeah, the new... Nice- article and picture thirsty for Molson only Canadian passport can unlock a red and white fr- <clears throat> fridge the beer brand placed in Sochi full of a, a part of a marketing campaign a video shows passerby struggling to open it in England France and Brussels <laughs> oh my god wow I'm only amazed Tim Hortons didn't jump on this bandwagon yeah <laughs> also um, Scott, sorry, go I ahead. I love Meryl and da- Meryl Davis and Charlie White. I love them. I love them. I love them. Tessa and Scott are awesome. Um, Scott being adorable during the flower ceremony with the flag as his poncho, and one of my favorite memories from Vancouver is just how full-throatedly he was belting out "O Canada" during their medal ceremony. So cute. Yeah, thank you. And Charlie White has hair. Charlie White has hair. Uh, there was at one point, whose hair were you making fun of? Uh, I, oh, Kevin Reynolds. You were, Raiden was making fun of Canadian figure skater Kevin Reynolds, and I told her that as long as Charlie White has that hair, she, no American has the right to talk. To which I said, fair point. And then you said, oh, but Kevin Reynolds' hair is pretty. Yeah, it's pretty something. <laughs> Um, yeah. and Kaylee, I've, been, been... I've been on the record saying before the game started that Canada you, you can take the hockey medals and you did you can ski faster which you really didn't you can <laughs> skate faster Oh, let's talk about this, the US speed skating team in a minute you can do whatever you want but we're going to own your asses in ice dancing and we did so ha ha fine <laughs> now u.s speed skating which is not the powerhouse that say the netherlands is but no one is completely choked no medals for them at all none none not a one 
And there was speculation that it was because the suits that Under Armour designed and shipped like a week before the game started and didn't actually get a chance to test, which seems stupid, were the cause of the problem. Um, And now they're saying, well, maybe, but it's definitely not the only cause of the problem. I think they just choked. He just choked. Oh my god. And I say this as somebody who grew up with Bonnie Blair and having my heart broken by Dan Jansen twice before he finally managed to pull out a gold medal win in Lillehammer. I mean, the man fell right after finding out that his sister died. Oh, and I think that was that was either eighty eight or ninety two. That he had he was coming in as like the favorite for a whole bunch of races, and he found found out that his sister had died just before a finals, and he fell, and it was heartbreaking and awful. And then he won in Lillehammer, and took a victory lap with his then one year old daughter, who he'd named after his sister, and it was like the perfect Olympic moment. This this is the emotional crap I watched the games for. Well, we had... Now you reminded me, do you remember last year when uh, Joanne Rochette's mother died the day before her figure skating event? Oh, Oh it's... It's the one time Scott Hamilton has shut the fuck up. (sighs) Short skate... Seriously! Her short skate, he didn't say a word, and then... She finishes and her face completely crumples. And he's like, oh my god, I'm sorry, I just couldn't talk. And like half of America was like, good. Is that what it takes to shut, <laughs> shut a commentator <laughs> That's up? That's what it takes to shut you up as a dead parent? <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't think Canada did that well in speed skating this year either. Especially the Hamlin brothers, I think, completely choked. Um even Great Britain though... choked big time at speed skating. We had one person who we really sent out who was going to be the big hope called Elise Christie. She was disqualified three times Ugh. in 500,000 and 1,500 metre events. First time she was disqualified because she caused a crash. Um, second time she didn't entirely cross the finish line. And then third time she caused another crash. And I was just like, okay, maybe you shouldn't have entered all three of them. Crashing yeah. once is, is, is a you know, it's unfortunate accident. Second time, maybe you need to look at your game a little bit. Third time, this is not Monty Python. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I feel some sympathy for her because she is the same age as me. I think she's slightly younger than me, actually. And I imagine she is under an immense amount of pressure. She was certainly one of the the bigger hopes for Britain in the games. It, it was a, it was a little bit embarrassing to watch. Mm-hmm. Although we were doing our typical thing of saying, oh, don't, we're still so very proud of her. I mean, she only caused three crashes. You know, it could have been so many more. <laughs> um, Canada, actually, the <clears throat> the sport we did best in is freestyle skiing. We have nine medals in it. Mm-hmm. So, and I'm looking up uh, for the rest of us now. For the USA, the biggest medal count is also freestyle skiing. Um, two medals, fewer than Canada. Also did pretty well in snowboarding and with alpine skiing. And let me see if I can get... Uh, I'll get Great Britain up here in a second. Four. 
And though, oh, Kaylee and I had this conversation about why is it Great Britain and not the UK, considering that the term Great Britain seems to exclude Ireland, and I had to be reassured that Northern Ireland is not, in fact, skating with the Republic of Ireland as the same country. I believe what the case is, is you, like most people, you know, you can choose who you represent. So I think there were some people who went to represent the Republic of Ireland and some who represented Britain. It's an extremely politically fraught issue I'm not qualified to talk about. But technically, it would have been called Team UK because Great Britain is Scotland, Wales and England and the United Kingdom includes Northern Ireland. But Team GB has the, the snappier ring to it. Right. Um, question, is it true? Um, I don't know if this is accurate, but I remember reading this, that... People born in Northern Ireland are automatically granted citizenship by the Republic of Ireland. Is that accurate? Do you know? um, I'm afraid I wouldn't be able to tell you that. Like I said, I mean, it's such a right. long and complex history, and I, if I get something wrong, I feel like I will ruin a few lives. Great so, Britain has uh, three medals. They're gold, being and skeleton. Thank you. Oh, no, sorry. Four. No, 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 four. four. Sorry. You? Just oh. oh, I was... Uh, sorry, in, in three, it's three disciplines. Uh, there's two in curling, one in snowboarding, and one in skeleton. And your gold is in skeleton. Yes. Congratulations. We had... Thank you. you. You can start apologizing now. I have. But, uh, yeah, I mean, like, we, we knew we weren't going to do well. I mean, this is not our forte. I believe that the last Olympic Games, or certainly the one before that, we only came away with one medal. So we, we knew what we were sort of getting ourselves into. So the fact that we won four makes the successful Winter Olympics we've had since the 30s. And that always kind of surprised me because, I mean, we don't have like the climate of say Scandinavia or Canada mm-hmm. but we do have a long history of the fact that we invented curling for one thing which maybe explains why we're good at it mm-hmm. but it's not to say that we don't entirely have the provisions for a lot of it I think a lot of it also comes down to just being able to afford it it's very expensive to ski mm-hmm. to start skiing to really get the training and it's also dependent on location I live about 40 minutes away from ski slopes but that's, you know, a pretty rare instance. But I've, I've never been skiing in my life because I can't afford it. And mm-hmm. also I'm scared and clumsy and lazy and all of Well, it's very expensive to be an athlete in all of these sports. Even during figure skating, our commentators would periodically talk about, you know, all the smaller nations and the athletes who can only afford to go because of certain assistance or who can afford to train. Professional sport is a privilege. It's, it's mm-hmm. for the privileged. And in fact, uh, with... Um, Nancy Carrick and Tonya Harding's story kind of being, it's always a little bit in the spotlight they write from it, but if you read exposés on it, it came down a lot to economic privilege. Yes and no. Um, Nancy Kerrigan came from, also came from a working class background. I mean, her family was considerably less fucked up and she had a lot more emotional and moral support for them, but she she didn't come from an upper class family. I I did watch the the, the documentary that's on Netflix right now. <laughs> um, but she was because she was able to project the image of being an upper class person. People would support her. So like Vera Wang would make and donate her costumes. As opposed to Tanya, who came to a, I think it was a U.S. Nationals in a 
in an outfit she made herself because that's what she could afford. And there was a judge that told her, if you ever step out in the ice looking like that again, you're never going to skate for the U.S. national team ever. And she told him, well, give me $5,000. Give me $5,000 or you can fuck right off. Mm -hmm. I mean, and for that, you know, respect. I think Tanya Harding was not as good a skater as she thought she was. We promise we care about things other than figure skating. Just we, we do. We just don't know as much about them. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much but, drama in figure skating as well. Yeah. I don't think people realize that it's it can be quite a dirty sport. Yeah. I mean, and even if you don't know about you know Kerrigan and Harding, is it wrong that I still laugh at the whole why 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 thing? No. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just really funny. <laughs> That's why I watch sports. I watch for the injuries and you know massive sort of Can conspiracy. We? Let's talk about the puppies. Let's talk about yes. the puppies. One of the um, controversies that all came out of this, aside from the living conditions and the, of the preliminary controversy of Russia's uh, <laughs> inhumane laws, was what was happening to the stray animals in Sochi. I do think, <clears throat> not that I wasn't upset by it, but I think I had a better understanding of the context than a lot of the people around me because one thing when we moved to Canada, we noticed no stray dogs or cats. Tons of squirrels running around parks and, you know, coyotes in the ravines and whatever. There's actual wildlife. But the the cat and the domesticated animal population is pretty well controlled by city services and you know, our taxes and all that. That is not the case in Russia. Russian cities are too dirty for actual wildlife to live in, but the strays, cats, and dogs, we have plenty. So this isn't um, like that the cruel government went out there to exterminate animals. This is that it's a systemic problem already that they're not taken care of and that we don't have services to take care of them. And no, it doesn't surprise me that they went in and just like they displaced people from their homes probably to build stuff not the first or only country that do this sadly but it's a problem that occurs um, that olympics can bring to a nation and the other they went in and they started gathering up animals so they wouldn't be running around on the streets but there were some nicer stories that came out of this the first one is the russian uh billionaire who spent money to build um a little shelter for the animals. Uh, he, Oleg Deripaska, <clears throat> who I'm assuming an oil magnate, said he's one of the richest, so there must be oil involved. As he told the BBC, uh, his very first dog was just a street dog he found on the streets of his village. Um, so he has a kind of soft spot. And when Sochi had the plans to disp- to you know basically kill these animals to get rid of them, he built this kind of shantytown shelter for dog uh, for dogs to round them up so they'd have somewhere to be and so they wouldn't get so they wouldn't get cold um and then you know saved quite a few animals so there were people doing something and of course then the the story exploded when athletes started adopting them mm-hmm. and we were we were just had all these pictures of athletes going oh all i want's a dog and a medal <laughs> And right. I got a puppy. And Gus Kenworthy Which... is has a silver medal in in snowboarding and adopted four puppies and I believe their mother. I think there was five. Or I guess the fifth one was the mother. The fifth one was the mother. Um 
And there's an adorable picture of him asleep with the puppy and the medal. <laughs> he was the one who said, I want the medal and the puppy. Yep. And then the kid would. <clears throat> and he would tweet that, you know, like he's going, but the puppies are with a vet getting all ready to be transported. And then there were other athletes tweeting him, like, can you help me find the vet because I need the puppy I'm adopting to get, yeah. <laughs> you know, certified. So there are all these people taking puppies home. And the puppies are so cute. And it's just a charming story. Yeah. I mean, like like you said, countries cleaning out undesirable things from their cities is not limited to Russia. Atlanta did it with their homeless population in 96. And I imagine London did something similar. Well, there, yeah, I think a lot of the land that was used for building the... Um building a lot of stadiums was area that was supposed to go to, to low-income housing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they also had a habit of putting missiles on top of large buildings. Sure. As you do. And then we have to look at what China did. Mm-hmm. What did China do? <laughs> That's exactly it. Exactly than Russia. So. It's exactly it. Every time these big events happen, like the Olympics, there's this wave of criticism for the way the host nation is sweeping things under the carpet and sometimes people and animals you know under the carpet to oh no it's totally clean and pretty here come on in and yet every host nation does it so what we maybe have here is a systemic problem that we should talk about and not any one nation's problem right well we're already looking at this is what's happening in brazil right now because not only are brazil getting the olympics in 2016 with rio they're getting the world cup this year they're not ready for it their stadiums are literally crumbling to pieces and and, and they're a mess and they don't have the money for that and it's caused huge riots across the country because the people don't want the money to be spent on that. I think that the the IOC as well as FIFA who may be the most easily bribed company in the planet, allegedly, really need to sort this issue out because this is, this is something that has really poisoned them to the core. Mm-hmm. I mean, to, to give you a clue just how bad it's gone for FIFA, not only have they given the next World Cup to Russia, the one after that is That's going to Qatar, Qatar. Yeah. where it's 50 oh. degrees during the summer. And it's all um, and their, their, their labor that, laws. Are that's different. 50 degrees Celsius in yeah. Fahrenheit. That would be really fucking hot. I believe it's something like 130. Yeah. Uh, uh, um, I'm afraid how, we use Celsius. How did that work like... out for Australia for the Australian Open tennis match? Not so well. There was, what, puking hallucinations on the court? Yeah. Yes. So they've been talking about moving the Qatar, instead of, you know, actually taking them off of Qatar, not just because of the ridiculous weather but because of the horrific labor laws that they have where they can imprison workers if they don't do their job without any sort of you know unions um they basically say well maybe we can move the world cup to winter which would basically screw with the entire system of world football because mm-hmm. world football doesn't play in the summer because that's when they do tournaments they all play their home games in the winter yeah i'm just saying that the set bladder makes you know the russian authorities look like you know mother Teresa. Mm-hmm. Maybe not Mother Teresa, she was awful. I'm thinking in our comparison it would work. <laughs> Come back to that. No, but Russia's awful too, so there we go. Russian oh, authorities. They can be awful together. Yeah. Every so often, someone will go, oh my god, Boston should totally bid for the Olympic Games. To which, mostly, I'm like, no, that's a terrible idea. There's a reason most we... people don't actually want these in their backyard. Yeah. We don't have the space. On the other hand... 
maybe somebody would finally throw enough money at our public transportation system that it would actually what's the word I'm looking for? Function? (laughs) Well, um, (laughs) Scotland's getting the Commonwealth Games this year in Glasgow which is going to be another politically fraught hot mess. (laughs) That opening ceremony is going to be hilarious. I guarantee it. It's going to be nothing but tartan. If you've seen the the, the Scottish mascot for the Commonwealth Games, hang on a second. No. And if you've seen the uniforms that they are making the people working there wear, you will understand why I often feel very embarrassed for my own country. <laughs> I'm just I mean, my friend who's like Jan, I've had I've had a lot of cause to be embarrassed for my home country. <laughs> my friend who who is at UBC said that having the Olympics in Vancouver was kind of a chaotic mess. I mean, parts of it were fun. And they did get a couple of new lines in the Metro Link, not subway, tram system, which was pretty cool. Um, but mostly, there were a lot of people, traffic was completely messed up. It was just ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, as much as we all enjoy these um, events, and I, I love them, but really, they do have this cost on my the... god yeah that's Kaylee <laughs> oh Link's my god <laughs> the mascot for the common do you remember months and months and months what is that what is that it's a thistle oh my god it is a thistle that's what that is see I just looked at it closed it down and said okay the sad thing is he's named Clyde after the river in Glasgow um but the thing is, do you remember months and months ago I told you about this art exhibit I went to see that was really sort of weird, twisted Scottish patriotic art? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The main feature of that art was that. No! Right. Like, I mean, I, I feel like there must have been someone who thought, well, there's, let's pick the biggest stereotype we possibly can and make it even more horrifying. See, I was going to say that these games are a big strain on the local infrastructure, but obviously they're just filled with humongously bad aesthetic ideas is what they are. Did you see who the mascot was for London 2012? Yes. I mean, it was was a one-eyed monster. Terrifying. Which is just, if nothing else, horrifically dirty. Yeah. And terrifying. Yeah. I I, I mean, we had the... We were lucky with London 2012 that our uniforms... You know, the, the, for the athletes were designed by Stella McCartney, and they were really quite cool. Oh, but, well, sometimes that works out for you. Oh, yeah, you guys didn't do so well, did you? What yeah. is the patchwork thing? Um, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this about the American sweaters for the opening ceremony. They were the most quintessentially American thing ever. It's like patriotism puked on a Christmas sweater. There is nothing more American than that. Nothing. There were no God. eagles, so I really feel like you missed a, a big opportunity there. Just like an eagle on the shoulder or something. Fair enough. But you still. Know, go hard or go home, America. <laughs> but still. <clears throat> ugly su- ugly sweater Americana. It's It was perfect. <laughs> it's way. Kudos to Germany's team who basically walked out in rainbow pride. Right. And said, oh no, it's totally not. No, I I do love all of these nations, you know, like the Germans' uniform or the fact that the, was it 
Belgian's openly gay prime minister. Oh, yeah. Right? Who was not there, or any of the countries who chose gay commentators, and they all went, this isn't a political statement. Right. Oh, the fact that over half of the U.S. delegation that Obama picked to send... Brian Boitano. Brian Boitano. It's like, oh, yeah. By the the way... The Canadian men's curling team made out, like, during an interview, more or less. Yeah. And not only that, there was a a Russian skiboarder who held up his skiboard after his first run that had a balaclava woman on it that was clearly an homage to Pussy Riot on his, and he held it up to the cameras and pointed at it and grinned, which meant that we got to hear Bob Costa say Pussy Riot not once, not twice, four times on primetime air. It was amazing. What oh, what event was it where the commentators couldn't stop saying the word come from behind victory? I cannot remember. It might have been be- sounds like another reference to the Canadian hockey team. Women's hockey team. Yes, it was the hockey. It was after that, the hockey like, game. And that was so everyone take another drink. Yeah, that was a drinking game we could have. The come from behind victory. The come from behind. They came from I'm just like, oh my god, stop saying it. <laughs> you would get so drunk so fast, and the darker you are, the funnier that phrase is. Yeah. We mostly had to deal with incredibly immature commentators who think that foreign names are very funny. Like there's a there's a very prominent German skier called Fanny Schmeller which we found hysterical. And there's also, a, a, I believe, an alpine skier called Andreas Vank, which is spelled W-A-N-K, mm-hmm. which my dad was endlessly amused by and ended up doing nothing but making jokes about it all night. Commentators, here's what I don't understand. You know, Carol Lane commentating on the figure skating. The announcer clearly says, Yulia Lipnitska. She immediately goes, Ulia. Did yeah. you not hear the glide before that? Ooh. <laughs> I don't get it. I don't get the the figure skating announcers. You know, you're a sports announcer for an international sport that's always going to have names from everywhere. Why don't you make more of an effort? Yeah. Canada luckily has uh, PJ Kwong, but sadly this year she wasn't the one commentating the webcast, but she actually does a great job, and I think she honestly cares about getting it right. And it's that should be the... The basic minimum, not the standout. Mm-hmm. Giving them the respect of trying to do it right. Yeah, I had um, a Twitter friend who is Korean going, "They're not, they're not saying you know's name right." And I, <laughs> I made her tell me how how to say it right, and it's not Yuna, it's Yuna. The the U is not, it's not a long U. Mm-hmm. I, had to, I looked it up and had to listen to it several times, and I probably fucked it up, but I, I tried. <laughs> I still fuck up my mother-in-law's name, because I try to get my husband to, to, get, to teach me how to say it more properly, and he was like, hmm. But then he can't get my mother's name right either, so it's mutual. Oh, there you go. <laughs> there you go. I mean, part of it is, is that they're just, they're letter combinations that don't come up in our native language. Right. The closing ceremony right now uh, has performance pretend to be a circus, and I think that's kind of a metaphor for this entire experience. Well, yeah. I think that's pretty much what the Olympics are, is a 
circus to make everybody forget everything for two weeks. <laughs> I I I love the Olympics and I like use it as sort of a catharsis. Like London wrapped up just as I was getting home from Sweden after spending ten, the worst ten weeks of my life studying for the bar exam, mm-hmm. and my roommate had recorded like 12 hours worth of gymnastics on our TiVo. <laughs> and the day after I got home, I just sat down with a bucket of ice cream <laughs> and watched gymnastics all day and just let all of those emotions get out. I spent the entire day in tears. It was ridiculous and exactly what I needed. You know what I don't understand? Host nations always seem to think that they're going to put on this great show and show, like here with Russia, you know, we're going to show the world that we're the greatest nation ever. These are going to be so spectacular. Everybody's going to love it. But never. It always ends up with all the international press talking about all the problems. Mm-hmm. Nobody's going to ignore your human rights violations and the people you displaced and the stray dogs you kill and the gay people you persecute. Because you put on a great show. That is never a thing. No, you know, when China put on the games, nobody, people didn't ignore the fact that press, from what I remember, didn't ignore the fact that they were basically displacing people against their will. Mm-hmm. Other countries can't wait to tear you apart. What makes you think you're going to do anything but reveal how horrible you are? Or maybe we're just so plugged into Twitter where in social networks where this people tend to spread these kind of stories and out unplugged from mainstream media yeah. where it gets more covered up. I don't know. Is, is that it? Is that what we're, what we're not seeing? Maybe. I mean, my, my memories of Vancouver and London as kind of a, a whole are, are generally pretty positive. So I don't know. Yeah, all the controversy that we had leading up to London in particular, it didn't go away uh, during the events itself. There was certainly a lot more positivity because it was going so much better than everyone expected it to. Because we just built it up for years, it was going to be a mess. Because we couldn't afford it, times were really tough. We didn't have... the One of the private companies that was hired to do security screwed up really bad. They had to call the military in to do it. And... I think a lot of us, particularly the worry I had was that this opening ceremony was supposed to be a representative of Britain. My worry was it was going to be a representative of England, specifically Mm -hmm. London, because before the Olympics had happened, the events for the Queen's Diamond Jubilee had been in full force. And Mm -hmm. the display of Britishness that was on display there was the proper, you know, Big Ben, red buses, bulldog, Union Jack waving, very, very narrow definition of Britishness. And I was worried that that was what that entire thing was going to be and it wasn't. Danny Boyle just blew it out of the park. It was this ridiculous and barmy opening ceremony that featured the Industrial Revolution and the, you know, socialist the, health the service. NHS. The <laughs> NHS. It was amazing. Sorry, what was that? The NHS. The tribute oh, yeah. to the NHS. The greatest thing that 
Britain has yes. to offer is With the National Peter Health Hospital. Yeah, keep in mind as well, while this is going on, um, David Cameron's government put through a bill that basically made it easier for him to privatise the NHS. Mm. So what Danny Boyle did was basically lead this massive, hardcore socialist push against this <laughs> government, not just by saying, we have an awesome socialist health service, but we led the working class industrial revolution, and we have created some of the greatest you know, art of our time, and we have, mm. we're having this very open and progressive... Um, so our social group is growing and we have a rapper performing and one there was actually a conservative politician who said that all of this what he described as multicultural crap mm-hmm. it was like yeah that's called britain yeah because the britain that was unrepresentative there was one i genuinely felt really proud of and that got me so revved up for these games in a way that i never thought it would though mm-hmm. they actually felt like something that i'd you know grown up with something I could relate to and it was also something I just genuinely got excited for you know it was like oh my god it's Kenneth Branagh oh my god JK Rowling is reading Peter Pan and they're listening they're playing Dizzy Rascal and there's really silly singing and dancing and just mm-hmm. and then they kind of ruined it by having Paul McCartney come out at the end but you know we, we, we tend to just let Paul do it like <laughs> not everyone can stick the landing it's okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> not even if Kayla Maroney gets it every time <laughs> one of my worries is that our opening ceremony would be kind of like what our closing ceremony ended up being which mm. was really cheesy but it didn't take itself too seriously but I thought it was going to be that kind of thing right. but you know I liked the closing ceremony as well it was basically a big street party with like Madness and One Direction and Annie Lennox and right. um, every band that we could get who didn't you know basically refuse to do it because I think everyone got asked and most of them said no which is why mm. we didn't get like David Bowie or um, the Rolling Stones yeah, or, Russia doesn't seem to be going the concert route. It's definitely more of the same extravaganza that the opening was. Now that the okay, so they had the, they had the ballet, which was nice, you know, because mm-hmm. even though we won't admit that Tchaikovsky was gay, we will enjoy the classical music we gave to the world. <laughs> um, but and now that the circus spectacular, so it's it's just putting on this this more, you know, look how great we are with all the culture and the entertainment and the show we're putting on. Mm-hmm. I was kind of hoping that there would be two guys dressed as Dostoevsky and Tolstoy that would just have a fight in the street. Dostoevsky. Dostoevsky. <laughs> My apologies. But I was really hoping for that. I feel like that would have been pretty cool. But I think they didn't have that. One. They had a thousand kids dressed up as Mozart. D- don't ask. I don't know what that was. I have the sound low, so I don't hear. Are we pretending he's Russian now? No, I don't know. They were just... I don't know what that seg- segment was supposed to be. I... I just looked on my screen and there was like thousands of little kids with with these white wigs and playing the piano. Huh. No. I think what London and Danny Boyle basically decided was we're never going to beat the the sheer pomposity and grandiose um, presentation that China put on. Nope. We might as well just have fun with it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And like the closing ceremonies, like the whole concept is this is a party. We've we finished our sport and now we get to just let it all loose and I, I, I really that. like seeing all the athletes sort of stream in and mix around and talk with each other and try on each other's medals <laughs> and that's that's always kind of a fun part and then seeing what the next host city brings as a here's here's what we're gonna do for you in four years um, that's always interesting sometimes you get severe russian anthems and giant fuzzy hats yeah the anthem in the closing one career took too long but i did like that bit where the conductor was in one nation but the 
the um, all the players were in the other. Remember when he mm-hmm. was conducting the orchestra from yeah. like the live satellite feed? That was kind of nifty. Yeah. I'm so glad that our ceremony ended up being better than the handover that we did in China because we basically had a giant red bus and a bunch of dancers with like. I think they were rubbish bins, and then we sent Boris Johnson out to get the flag, and we had to explain what Boris Johnson actually is. <laughs> there was a joke going around, it was like, no, that's not a politician, that's just the mascot. Yeah. <laughs> it was so much easier just to say that. Yeah. Are anyone looking forward to the Paralympics, if you'll be able to watch it at all? <clears throat> I, I think Canada will have some coverage, and I think, uh, I don't know how much of it will be on TV, probably a lot of it will be on webcast, but I think CBC will have a lot of the coverage on webcast. They have the website set up. When it starts, NBC is doing some coverage on cable, and I think the finals of sled hockey on prime time. Not prime time. Ooh, this is nifty. Oh. Sorry, right now um, they're having. I guess the medals look like they're gleaming because the lights are passing over the athletes, and all the medals are kind of lighting up, so you can tell the athletes because there's like glittering in their section. Either that or Russia actually implanted like light up chips into the medals, and they, can now, into the medals. <laughs> and they can now track every single medal winning athlete wherever they are. Alright, everybody nuke your medal when you get home. No, I think they might be light up chips because this is synchronized lights. This is really weird. If I were an athlete, I would take, I would like lock that medal into, in a lead lined chest in my basement. Okay. Good to know. You stay classy, Russia. You stay classy. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry, they've got the World Cup coming in two years. I'm sure they'll class up the joint beautifully for that. Hey, Scotland's not sending anyone to that. I don't care. I'm we just do uh, looking forward to uh, to the handoff because I do want to see. So, it's South Korea for the Winter Games and Brazil for the Summer Games. Is that yes? So, well, obviously, Summer Games will happen first. So, so the handoff here will be to South Korea. Yeah, and then I think 2020 Summer Olympics are Tokyo. 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 Isn't this kind of awkward? Will this be like, sorry for all these guns we gave to North Korea to shoot at you during the 50s? Like, well, is... they were they were pretty much guaranteed to get it because the country they were up they were up against Madrid and they were also up against Istanbul. So during the the choice being made, Spain was going through and still is going through some of the toughest economic times they've ever had with half youth unemployment and riots in the streets. And then at this time in Istanbul, the riots were starting there as well. Mm-hmm. So basically, Tokyo was the safest option, even with the Fukushima leak at the plant. <laughs> so when your safest option is the one with the dodgy nuclear reactor, you might have some issues. Which has led to a lot of Godzilla jokes for um, the very lazy British commentators. Although I believe that this also happens in the year that the um, in Akira, when the events start taking place there, isn't that the case? Which led to some even geekier references from some British commentators, like, yeah, I know what Akira is. <laughs> um, Having said that, if, ja- if Japan's opening ceremony is basically like the opening for Akira, I will, like, love them forever. <laughs> no, what <laughs> I think should happen <laughs> is in Japan's closing ceremony, Godzilla should come and just destroy the stadium. That everything took place mm-hmm. in. I if if that doesn't happen, I will be very disappointed. Ah, the mayor of Pyeongchang is here to accept, I guess, mm-hmm. the handover. And the uh, Pyeongchang, everyone, not Pyongyang. Pyeongchang. <laughs> yes. again. Oh, I am not looking forward to the Western commentators butchering all of the <laughs> Korean names when that happens. 
I no, hope they... no, we lived through it in Beijing. Now, I'm looking at the list of applicant cities for the 2022 Winter Olympics. Mm-hmm. We have Krakow, Oslo, Almaty, Kazakhstan, uh, a city that doesn't have enough vowels for me to pronounce in the Ukraine. Hold which... on, hold on, hold on. Let me help. And oh. Beijing. So, we're talking the 2022? 2022. Yeah. I'm... Oh, Lvov. To... What? Lvov. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to guess that anything happening in the Ukraine is going to go on hold for a little bit. That's just a guess. Yeah. Krakow would be pretty good. They have some really solid ski resorts there. So Krakow would be good. Kazakhstan would be really interesting. Oslo's Dennis Ten did win a medal. One of the more adorable it's figure skaters. True. NBC totally spoiled that by actually showing his long program. <laughs> I'm like, really? NBC, the fact that you're showing this kid at all is totally a spoiler for how this ends. Even if I didn't already know. Oh, adorable Korean kids singing the anthem in mm-hmm. traditional costumes during the handoff. Oh, I was. I'm gonna say China will probably not get it just because they've had an Olympics recently. Is that a fair guess? I think that's a fair guess. It's getting well. This is the International Olympic Committee we're talking about. I just, I just want to say that. I just want to throw that out there. True, but also with Tokyo hosting the 2020 Summer Games, to Games in that region of the world, that close together. But as you say, Kaylee, this is the International Olympic Committee we are talking about. So it'll be good to bring it back to Europe in that case, just to have another European um, Winter Olympics. Mm-hmm. I would say Poland and Oslo would probably be the ones I would guess as the front runners. How many uh, times have Oslo or Norway done it? They've done it. I, I have the uh, Wikipedia article open right now. This will be Oslo's fifth bid for the Winter Olympics. Uh, Oslo last hosted the 1952 Winter Olympics, and Norway last hosted the 94 Winter Olympics in Lillehammer. Yep. So Norway as a country has uh, done it more times than Oslo itself as a city, but I mean, it's still not that recent, you know? So I, I don't. Th- Quite a few, a few times, but I wouldn't say this is excessive. There's mm-hmm. a level of sort of tradition as well, taking it to Oslo. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although if they want to bring it to, I think I think Krakow would be a pretty interesting option. Um, even though I don't know a lot about them, but out of those options that were listed there, I mean, we can. Oh, the, the Polish Olympic bid is joint with Slovakia because. Oh. Um, they they will be hosting together with Jasna, a village in central Slovakia. Uh-huh. I wonder if they're kind of neighboring and some of the um, stadiums would be in the... Possibly the skiing would be in one place, but the yeah. stadiums in another is usually how it works. Skiing is always a little bit away because they have to have the slopes, obviously. I think there would be a, definitely a very interesting choice to make there if you gave it to them because the whole point of the games is you know unity and community and all of that, which yeah. was emphasized very heavily by the... Uh, International Olympic Committee president during the opening speech for Sochi. Lots of talk about tolerance and unity. Yeah. Which I feel that it had a little more power if, you know, they weren't there. There was a lot but of talk about tolerance and unity, which was edited out of the NBC broadcast. Yeah, I heard that. I mean, 
which is the second time that NBC has taken it upon themselves to edit important things out of opening ceremonies that I know about. Because, as I heard, there was a tribute to the July 7th bombing victims in the London opening ceremonies, right? I believe there was. Did you guys get the gay kiss? Nope. Well, that was being edited out too. There was a scene where they showed like entertainment from Britain throughout the years and there was a scene of lots of different kissing and they showed this very famous gay kiss that happened on a British soap opera in the early 90s mm. and there was a lot of controversy about that but that does seem like something NBC would edit out because NBC are I don't know Hannibal's coming back on Friday I don't want to say anything bad <laughs> yeah that's kind of how I felt for the past couple of days um there's a, there's a lot of sort of fake pedest- you know bronze uh, medal pedestal grinning right now when it comes to NBC <laughs> I yeah, really pretty, don't want to piss them off. Pretty much. Now, bronze medal winners are generally pretty happy because they're happy to get on the podium at all. It's the silver medal ones that are like, fuck me. Was it the silver medal that the women's ice hockey team won? Where they yeah. just looked like someone Yeah, had they were sobbing. They were sobbing. They were sobbing. Were, they were, they were, well, hockey game. is slightly different than any other sport because it's not that they come second. It's that the two teams literally fight for gold and the loser gets the silver, which is yeah. different from when you are a person just competing like any kind of uh, skiing or skating or racing, right? Where just it's your times, right? This is literally you lost the gold competition. Yeah. And it, it was a hard-fought game. <laughs> but we still won. <laughs> yes. Yes, you did. I'm not taking anything away from that. I... I'm sorry. I mean, I'm not it's a lot of emotion, okay? <laughs> I don't... I'm not going to blame them for being sad and being overwhelmed. Well, the commentator, the CBC commentator, she was... Um, so the Canadian commentator... I can't remember the name on the top of my head. I'm sorry. I, but she was recounting her own experience with a silver medal win, and she says it took her a good six months before that medal stopped being kind of a slap in the face. Mm -hmm. And you started actually being proud of having a silver Olympic medal. Mm -hmm. So it might take some time for these women to stop seeing it as a loss, as a loss of a gold medal, and start seeing it as a win of a silver one. Yeah. Apparently there's some animosity between those teams too. I'm not entirely sure what the backstory is, but I sense drama that I've missed. <laughs> I want to study up on. So, um, but overall, what do we say? Would these, what what qualifies an Olympics as a success? Well, there's were no terrorist attacks. <laughs> <laughs> there's that. That we um, um, I I don't know what qualifies, and I don't. I think that these were definitely not a failure. Yeah, I don't know. It's strange for the host. I mean, for every nation in terms of its competitiveness, you know, success is, well, we wanted this many medals and this is what we got. Uh, as Kaylee pointed out, for the UK, this is a success because, well, they've gotten a few gold, a few medals in these, and that's for the UK, that's really great. Uh, I'd say Canada probably thinks of it as mostly a success. I mean, we, we got hockey and we a few others. The hockey, so I think that is a success for y'all. Yeah, um, Russia as a competitor would say it's success because now at the top of the of the medal count with its last uh, skiing win, mm -hmm. and uh, a host nation always hopes to do particularly well. We know that, 
but Russia as a host nation, like, I mean, what would have been a success for for nothing technically to go wrong with the ceremonies or for people to talk about it with adulation as opposed to, you know, recount all the things it does it does wrong with its government? I'm not sure. I, I don't know how much in the international media chose to blow smoke up its ass as opposed to talk about all the horrible things it's done. I don't think this did anything to patch up its international relations. Nobody's going to say, oh, yeah, actually, you're pretty great, so... Mm-hmm. We're gonna let you supply weapons to Syria, whatever. <laughs> so, so in some ways, I question the motivation of these hosts. I always do. I love that I have these events to watch the athletes, but I don't think I'm ever really gonna stop wondering what it is the host nations want out of it, and I don't think they ever really get it, despite what they may think. Mm-hmm. Like nobody thinks better of r- the Russian authorities because of this. If only, if anything, it only brought all of their problematic politics up front and center. Yeah. But maybe that's a good thing in terms of what is success for my opinion. Well, now, you know, rather than people being mistaken, they do know how horrible it is and maybe something will happen. Maybe international embarrassment is what it takes. At least the little bits of it building up. Mm-hmm. Well, is there any particular game where we've actually, you know, objectively judged it as being a disaster? Because I really can't think of any examples. Well, no. I mean, this, there weren't, you know... Nobody died before the Olympics even started, like they did in Vancouver. Yeah, <laughs> that's a success in and of itself, I would say. Um, I don't know, no career-ending injury. Well, that ACL tear that happened, right? With there, I don't know. Uh, um, he'll be back. He's nineteen. Yeah, so bounce. I don't think we saw anybody be particularly injured, and. There was, I mean, there's all in terms of athletes being disappointed because they didn't do as well as they hoped. That's always going to happen. Like that's not, I think, what defines success in the Olympics. So, and they had these new sports. Winter Olympics always have fewer sports than summer, but they added a few new ones. So, mm-hmm. I'd say I'd say that went well. Yeah. Maybe if the International Olympic Committee keeps on embarrassing itself, they'll finally have some <laughs> reform happening there. That would be a success. Oh, that's cute. Yeah, I know. I'm an optimist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that word does exist in Russian, despite what Arrow might have said. Uh, details. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the Korean delegation just spelled out CU in Pyeongchang. Aww. Their performance is very upbeat and happy. Well, I would hope so. So, uh, see what happens there. Yeah. Alright, this has been episode 17. We did not solve anything. Except to determine that, yes, Patrick Chan has a very excellent butt. Mm-hmm. Did we come to that decision together? Yes. I believe we? We, we provided proper research. We did. We did. We did independent research and we all came to this conclusion. <laughs> yes. Uh, the versatility um, of research purposes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So in Anglophy's housekeeping, remember everybody, Hannibal Season 2 starts up on Sunday. Friday. Friday? Friday. Friday. Sorry, it's Friday. It's Sunday. Friday in the U.S. Um, we don't get it till April, but, you know. I imagine Kaylee has methods. <laughs> um, I'm resourceful. Yeah. She is. It's a good old Scottish sick or something. I don't know really know where I'm going with that. Anyway, um, so yes, Hannibal starts on Friday, and keep an eye on what the hashtags are, because um, live tweeting and excited tweeting and making the whole show trend 
nationwide and worldwide is one of the things that really helped us get a season two and we would really like a season three because um, it has been confirmed that we do not get Bowie this year but maybe next year so if that's if that's the bone that gets handed, dangled in front of us to make us keep going then we'll take it yeah yeah yes um, and we are getting the Vergers this season. They have been cast. They have been so cast. If nothing else, you yes. need to understand why the Vergers freak us out so much. <laughs> yes. Um, so we will see you next month with a topic as of yet to be determined. Yeah? yeah. Okay. Good. So good night, everybody. Bye. See ya. Oh, wait a second, wait a second, I have an avocado, hold on. Yes, go. Excellent. You have been listening to Anglophies, a made-of-fail production.